Welcome to the Motorcycle Vagabond Show. Today we're doing a chronicle, and we have with us Sage Morgan. Hello. So how you doing today, and where are you at? I'm doing great. Uh, I am in the Philippines, in, on the island of Samar, in the very south. Uh, Guian is the nearest big town to me. Very nice. How long have you been in the Philippines? Uh, I have been in the Philippines about two and a half years now. Um, I really only came here for one short visit before I headed back to the States and, well, <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So tell me about the South Philippine Islands. I hear, when I went to the Philippines anyways, the rumor was the South Islands are dangerous and I'll get kidnapped and ransomed and beheaded and stuff. So mm -hmm. what's your experience been like down there? Uh, well, first off, I'm not actually in the South Philippines. I'm more in the East part of the Philippines. Um, but I know that you're talking mostly about Mindanao. I've heard all the stories. And I actually entered the Philippines in Mindanao. Um, I came here from Borneo. Uh, I was had been traveling for a while, about a year and a half. I was kind of ready to go home. I was tired. I was out of money. But I heard that you could take a ferry from Malaysian Borneo to the Philippines. And I thought, wow, you know, I've crossed borders in many, many ways, but I've never taken a ferry. That sounds awesome. So I did it for the adventure and I thought, oh, I'll just go there. I'll do a couple months and then I'll head home. Um, and so I entered into Zamboanga City, which is in Mindanao. And I have to say, so many people said to me, oh my gosh, what are you doing here? It's not safe for you here. Come, where are you going? And they would walk me wherever I was going, you know? Um, so there were so many people trying to protect me because there's this perception that it's not safe. But the reality is that usually if the international buzz is that it's not safe and there's this idea that one thing happened and all of a sudden this place is like a black hole and you can never go there. It's, I, I don't know how to, <clears throat> nine times out of 10, it's BS. You know, it's just that people have decided, oh, that's a bad place to be. And it's now the rumor that you don't go there. Nobody goes there. And the truth of the matter is, no matter where you are in the Philippines, people are friendly and welcoming and enthusiastic to host a guest. And, um, yeah, maybe there's a little, 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 little bit of um, risk in that area. But I didn't put myself in a situation where I was at risk. I was never, I actually ended up traveling with a Filipino friend that I met who stayed in the same place I did. He took me home to meet his family in the countryside and then took me to the, the big city where he lives. And, um, you know, like, like people are, people want to take care of you. So, so I, I say, um, when as a traveler, someone is always going to tell you, Oh, don't go there. Oh, don't do that. Oh, that's dangerous. Um, Oh, you want to live on a motorcycle by yourself and you're a female, you're crazy. You're going to get raped. You're going to die. Somebody is always going to tell you not to do what you want to do. And I just don't listen to it anymore because um, people are scared of what they don't know. And there are many people out there who don't have experiences that I have been so incredibly fortunate to have had. Um, and I wouldn't have had if I had listened to all the naysayers because there are many, many naysayers out there. <laughs> 
They really are. So let's start with the foundation. How old are you now? Where were you born? And at what age did you start traveling? Okay. Uh, well, I am 42. <coughs> um, excuse me. <clears throat> I was born in Tennessee in the U.S. Um, I, which I know from listening to your podcast, I think your boyfriend's from Tennessee uh, and you spent some time there. Um, but anyway, uh, I was actually born in the back of a hippie bus, uh, parked on my family's hippie land. Uh, so, you know, there's a picture of me like a week old in Washington, D.C. at a no nukes march with my family, you know. So I guess technically I started traveling at a week old because we drove there in the bus that I was born in. Um, so traveling started for me really young. But, um, my parents were actually divorced by the time I was, I think, three and a half or four, really young. And my mom, who I lived with, um, well, I guess she was trying to find herself. And so we moved a lot. I had moved many, many, many times by the time I graduated high school. So although that's not traveling, uh, I got very good as a kid at being the new person and experiencing, you know, new places and not being the same as the people around me. And, you know, I, I, I never realized that until I was a traveler, I was just said, Oh, and you know, my life, my growing up is very different than everyone around me because I moved all the time. But really I was just already a traveler as a kid. It's just like, you know, um, conditioned into me from a young age. Um, anyway, so <clears throat> back on point, back on topic. Um, however, I was a good, typical American child. I made really good grades. I went away to university. I got a degree. I bought a house. Um, I got a good job. And uh, <clears throat> hey, guys. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Give them some privacy. They're about to outdoor bath because that's what we do here. <laughs> you guys are fun. Um, where was I? Sorry, that was not part of the show. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, uh, so where was I? Um, yeah, I got a job. I bought a house. I was living my life. Um, in 2009, my father, who is a Vietnam veteran, Vietnam War veteran, was planning a trip back to Vietnam. And we were talking about it, and I said, wow, oh, that's so exciting. Like, I always said I wanted to travel internationally, but, you know, I've never left the U.S. I was in my late 20s, I think, at that point, or 30, I guess, 2009. Yeah, I was 30. Um, and uh, he just said, well, why don't you come with me? <laughs> you know, like, why not? And so I traveled with my dad to Vietnam, my first time out of the country, and I fell in love immediately I just the experiencing other cultures you know the the way that you learn so much about yourself and who you are based on on your perspective of cultures was just right away it was just the thing for me <laughs> um so I went back to the U.S. Um, um and actually let me back up just a little bit about solo travel um, because I was there with my dad, but my dad was really, he's a hundred percent, um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a mental, um, disability. And 
you know, for him, going to Vietnam was enough. And going to the war sites that he wanted to go to was enough of a trip down memory lane. He was not interested in being a tourist or being a traveler in any way. I wanted to see some of the country. I was like, I'm here on halfway around the world. I want to travel. And so we had a local friend and he took me home to his fiance's family, to their village. And I got that really nice local experience. Then I wanted to go somewhere else and my dad didn't want to go with me. So I was like, fine, I'll just go by myself, you know? So the idea of solo travel just was born out of, um, a desire to travel and not having anyone to go with me. So I bought my bus ticket. I went where I wanted to go. I, it was the first time I hopped on a motorcycle. Maybe we can talk about that later. Um, and, uh, after that, once I got back to the U S, um, I was like, all right, what's next? When can I leave the country again? Let's go. And, uh, at that point, I think it was a year later, I saved up money and I took a solo trip to, um, well, the goal of the trip was the Netherlands. I read a book as a kid like 10 times. It was called uh, Hans Brinker or the Silver Skates. And I'd always, always wanted to see um, Amsterdam and the canals in Amsterdam, which apparently in the winter freeze, I didn't get to see that part. But um, I'd always wanted to see that. And so that was the, the goal of the trip was that. But I flew into Germany and um, I went to Ireland for a little brief trip to meet up with a, a friend that I'd met in the U.S. And then back to the Netherlands. And then I poked down into Belgium. Anyway, that was my first like solo trip. It was like two weeks, truly solo. It was two weeks. And, uh, and I moved, 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 which is the big mistake that I think every traveler makes in the very beginning is I want to see all the places now in a tiny period of time. Um, anyway, so then I came back to the States and, um, uh, you know, I got stuck in my job. I, um, what did you do? Fun, um, I work for nonprofits. Uh, I was nonprofit management and programs, and uh, I actually helped start a really wonderful charity that was my longest work called Random Acts of Flowers, based out of Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, they take flowers that are left over from memorials or weddings or corporate events, and they rearrange them into individual bouquets and take them into hospitals and nursing homes to give away for free wonderful charity it's still going on they're approaching one million bouquets given away here in a few in a i don't know soon <laughs> um and they have many locations around the u.s now and anyway check them out if you're interested random flowers.org. um i helped start that charity so that was probably my biggest like um career-wise that was my biggest uh uh, contribution to, to the world. Um, but, uh, you know, my, in my free time, I was, um, a backpacker. I was a hiker. Uh, we canoe camped a lot. Um, you know, I've camped, I've car camped. I have backpacked, I've canoe camped. I've, 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 you know, in the States I've camped in every way imaginable. Um, but anyway, so I woke up one day, I was like 35 and, and I looked at my life and I said, wow, it's, is this it? You know, like, like I got, a, I got a great life, you know, I have a house and I'm, I, I got a great job. I, I have friends, I have a nice social life, but it's not everything. It's not enough, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't me. Um, and so I decided to make a change and that change was following a childhood dream. I had always wanted to join the USP score 
And uh, when I graduated college, which is when most people joined the Peace Corps, um, there were many things that kind of got in the way, but mostly I had a dog and I didn't have anywhere to send her and I wasn't going to just desert my animal, you know? Um, and so I didn't join the Peace Corps. Also, I got a good job, whatever that's, you know? Um, so at 36, I joined the U.S. Peace Corps. Uh, I was an agriculture, um, agribusiness volunteer in Uganda and East Africa. I taught farmers about farming as a business and some permaculture techniques and that sort of stuff. Um, organic farming type stuff. Um, and then I decided to, anyway, so before I left for the Peace Corps, I, you know, I own a house. So I packed up everything I own. I sold what I could sell. I took everything I couldn't get rid of to my mom's house for storage and, and I rented my house out. So, you know, my home base is not there anymore. Um, and so after the Peace Corps, I said, all right, I'm going to go travel. I want to travel. I always wanted to travel internationally. I'd always wanted to be that, you know, 20 year old backpacker in Europe, <laughs> but life got in the way. So I was like, why well, don't I want to do it now at, at 38, you know? Um, so the plan was to travel for six months. And I was planning to go to India and Nepal and Myanmar, not Myanmar, um, Bangladesh. Uh, and that was almost four years ago. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I just, um, at first I got to the end of the six months and I still had my budget. I still had money left in my budget and I said, why stop now? And, and uh, I kept going. And I've been all over. I've been, let's see, um, India, Nepal, Thailand, Myanmar, Malaysia, Singapore, Malaysian Borneo, Indonesian Borneo. Um, uh, oh, what's the tiny little country in Borneo? The other one, um, Brunei and Borneo, and now the Philippines. And... Um, I did not previously travel by motorcycle. Um, I was, you know, a typical backpacker. I traveled by whatever means was possible um, until I came to the Philippines. I arrived in the Philippines by ferry. I was here about maybe two months and I decided to, I wanted some freedom. So I decided to buy a motorcycle and I thought, oh, I'll just own it for, you know, two or three months and I'll toot around and I'll have my own, my own freedom and transportation and then I'll sell it for about what I bought it for and, and fly back to the States. <laughs> and that was two years ago. And now here I am on Motorcycle Vagabonds. <laughs> Do you know what date you left for your international trip that you never came back from? Yeah, it was um, September the like ninth or seventh, I think, of twenty seventeen. Nice. That's really awesome to hear how long you've been on the road. And the funny story that we all start out with, it was only for a set amount of time until <laughs> yeah. I realized I could make the money stretch for a lot longer. And here we go. We're gonna totally revamp the way I was doing this. Yeah, yeah. It becomes I mean it becomes a lifestyle and, and it's it's addictive. <laughs> It really is. It's the next newest different thing. You know, where can I challenge myself and where can I develop who I am? So yeah. a little brief that we had talked about previously before the show started. You were raised in a Americanly, for an American family, you were pretty low income. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, as a single mother, you talked about the various personality traits that were instilled upon you as a child. Can you mm-hmm. remember being that person and who you were when you started traveling? Like, before you started traveling? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was raised by a single mom. Uh, my dad wasn't really around much until I got older. And so I was raised as a strong, independent woman. You know, I learned to do for myself. You know, my mom always took care of what needed to be taken care of. She never relied on anyone. Um, and she taught me to be the same. And so I was very independent. I was very um, <laughs> maybe set in my ways and determined that, you know, no, 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 I can do it. Um, it, it was very difficult for me to accept help. If someone offered help, I said, no, 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 it's fine. I can do it myself. Um, and, and that's a beautiful thing. I don't regret, I don't regret that in any way, shape or form. Um, but I have tanked a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, do you want me to go into that now or? Sure. I mean, we talk about that a lot, and it's something that I've talked about before on the show. You start as a traveler, and you're like, now I can do this. I don't need your help. And it, it's uh-huh. very laced with the pride, and, and it's the pride that could get you hurt. Or, you know, uh-huh. it not only gets you hurt, but it could also hamper your experience. You know, you're not open to new things. So uh-huh. talking to someone who is like that and how you've changed into who you are today, you know, being a little humbled by the generosity of strangers, being taken in by families, being taken into a community, and all the various things that show you you can have personal boundaries, but they could be changed into different ways, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I rely on the kindness of strangers more often than I don't. You know, I am still independent and perfectly capable of taking care of myself, and I do on a regular basis, but it's being able to accept the kindness of strangers that really makes my travels what they are. I've lived with so many local families and I've had so many fantastic experiences and you know um, if I hadn't allowed myself to um, relax some of my boundaries you know and and to accept the help of strangers uh, I I would have never had the experiences that I've had and um, yeah yeah was I answering something? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I rambled um, so much I forgot where I was going. <laughs> so to spark this, what's the difference between a tourist and traveler to you? Like, what's the fundamental differences that you get to experience in each of those lifestyles that, or travel styles that you really attach to one instead of the other? Well, um... You know, to be a tourist is a beautiful thing because you get to step outside of your, your, you know, day-to-day lifestyle and you get to experience beautiful places and you get to, you know, take your Instagram photos and make your posts on Facebook and, and, um, but tourists are usually in a hurry and that's partially, especially in the U.S., it's partially because we have, what, two weeks of vacation a year and, and, and you don't have that much time. And so as a tourist, you're kind of, um, you know, you're, you're, you're on a schedule, you're on a tight schedule. Um, and I would say the biggest difference between a tourist and a traveler is a schedule. <laughs> um, although, you know, travelers do often have schedules. I don't, I don't mean to say that, but, um, 
uh, a traveler, it's more, it's in my experience, it's a much more laid back experience because, you know, you're not just going somewhere to see a beautiful place. You're going somewhere to experience the culture and to get a feel for to feel the place more. Um, I think as a tourist, when you're just, you know, two days here and three days there and one day here and you're in a hurry, you want to see all the places and eat all the food and, you know, go, 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 go. And as a traveler, you get to, you know, the way I travel, I, I don't have a plan. I roll into a place like the place I'm in now and it was just supposed to be overnight and it's been two weeks, you know, and you just, you, you experience the place that you're enjoying and you stay until you're not enjoying it anymore and you move on. And I mean, not that it's not enjoying, but you know, until you get the wanderlust need to move on again. Um, and so I think as a traveler, it's much more for me, it's much more based around the people I meet and not the places that I'm going. Um, the experiences that I have and not the pictures that I take. Um, you know, the, I mean, I'm in the Philippines. This, this country is literally a string of beaches and I'm on my motorcycle and I am just bouncing from beach to beach to beach to beach. And here I'm staying at a beach for two weeks. And what do I do? I drive around and visit all the other beaches, you know, because there's so many beaches within a 30 minute drive of here that it's, you know, and on the one side, I'm on the Pacific Ocean and I'm watching the, you know, these massive six foot, eight foot waves crashing into the shore. And on the other side of the island, I'm in the Philippine Sea and it's gentle and sandy and I can go for a swim. You know, they're surfing over here on the on the east side because the waves are big and beautiful. And um, anyway, I got a little off topic there. <laughs> um, but I would say the number one biggest difference between a tourist and a traveler is time and schedule I have more time and less money <laughs> uh, and I think many tourists have the money but not the time that's a pretty easy way to to differentiate the two I usually mm -hmm. tell people the same thing and I I make a joke which I stole from AJ come on guys mandatory fun time move it let's go and that's what a lot of Americans are like when they're on vacation is that we've got everything scheduled all day, every 15 minutes to an hour. You know, we've got a new activity. we got to go. And a lot yeah. of stress comes from not meeting that schedule you set for yourself and not really getting yeah. to experience what you're doing. Just making a checklist that you did this and I did that and I did this. But do you remember it? Did you actually feel it or was it just a, oh, hey, snap, let's go? Yeah. I actually made that mistake in a big way um, before I started traveling when I was living in Uganda. Uh, my mom and her best friend and um, her daughter, whom I call my somehow sister because we grew up together, um, came to visit. And I had their, I don't know, it was like a week and a half, maybe two weeks. I had them so jam-packed <laughs> with activities. I mean, we went so many places and did so so many things and by the end I mean they were older you know my mom's sister was in her 60s and my mom had just retired she was when he retired like 56 or something 
Um, and so, you know, they were, they were older and, and it was my mom's first time ever out of the U S and I brought her to Uganda and I ran around like crazy and I'm not sure I'm ever going to get her out of the U S again, but you know, I made that mistake for them. I mean, they were exhausted by the end of the trip and I don't think that they truly got to enjoy the experience, you know, and I, I was the tour guide. So, you know, I'm, <laughs> um, did they need a vacation but- from their vacation when they were done? They definitely needed a vacation from their vacation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, maybe a pointer also, because in this situation, my mom, it was her first time ever out of the U S. Um, and it was my, my, my second mom and my somehow sister's first time, I think in a developing country. Um, if it's your first time from the West and you're going to a developing country, you need some processing time because let me tell you, it's a different world and you're going to see things that, um, I think you mentioned this earlier, like you called it animal abuse. Um, you're going to see trash. Um, and it's not animal abuse. It is trash. <laughs> and it's, it's a different culture. It's neglect is what it is. And, and you know, you just, you have to take the time to process things because, I mean, we're on video, so I'm just going to show you this real quick, I think. Can you see those bottles? There's, like, liquor bottles sitting right next to me uh, where I'm sitting in this nice green area by the beach, you know. And I'm so – and there's a, a rusty can and a, a plastic thing of peanuts. And, and, I mean, there is just trash all around me. I'm surrounded by trash. And I'm used to it. I mean, the Philippines is, is – really really bad about trash um I could talk about that forever but I'm not going to get off topic um and that's something that takes our American brains a little bit of time to process and to get past the oh my gosh it's so trashy here it's so ugly because you're only seeing the trash you're not looking up and seeing wow look at that beach oh my gosh look at those you know, those rocks, you know, I'm in the, in the, in Uganda on a safari and I got to see elephants, you know, it's like you, you're, you're seeing beautiful things, but they're offset by these really ugly things that it just takes time for our, our minds to adjust. So back to my very long winded point as a, an American, especially, or someone who grew up in a developed country, your first time in a developing country, it's so important to take your time and to sit back and relax and give yourself time to process. It's kind of an overload on all your senses, though, because, mm. you know, I went to the Philippines as my first out-of-country experience, and it's a, it's more of a second world. It's developing, for sure. Some mm-hmm. areas are third, some are second, some are almost first, depending on how much mm-hmm. money you have. But yes. as my first experience, it was overloading on all my senses. Like, every car in Manila, which is where I flew into, is diesel. So you've got bombardment on your ears with the sound, mm-hmm. and then... Things smell a lot different in developing countries. You do smell bio. You do smell sewage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you smell the garbage. And then the sights, like, you're right. There's a lot of beautiful things. And, you know, when you, fo- you take photographs, you try to cut out the ugly parts. But mm. they're everywhere there. It's a part of their culture and learning to accept that. And then mm. the taste, you know, taste and feel, like, especially when you're from even the States. They say it's humid here, even Florida. Until you go to an island like the Philippines, and then you just don't understand how it is. You're wet constantly, all the time. There is no such thing as dry, ever. And then the food. It's a a big shock for food. So you've got all of your senses just Mm -hmm. having to adapt to change. And, I mean, you're right. It's it's a culture shock. It's a real thing. And needing to Uh 
to ease yourself into it, not just do it like I did, which was not the right way, <laughs> just hopping into the, you know, the cold water, just jumping in. Yeah. It's a little easier to I mean, ease in. Well, I'm going to stop you there, though, because everything happens for a reason. So you can't say that an experience you had was not the right way. You had that experience so that you could learn and do it differently. You know, um, it's not nothing wrong. We ever Speaking from a experienced ground, when I tell someone else right. is when I do it. Like, do hey, I did it this way. It wasn't the best. There's some other options that I would recommend. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. But it wasn't um, bad. I mean, I, I had a really rough time with it, but a learning experience is a learning experience. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Very important all the way around. You know, nothing is bad or good. It's all something to be learned from. So next time, maybe you can tailor it to yourself a little better. Right, right. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> so let's, everything happens for a reason. So let's talk about your motorcycle. When you first started riding and how you're now on one and how long you've been riding. Okay. Um, so I've always loved motorcycles ever since I was young. Always wanted to drive a motorcycle. Um, but I was a speed demon in my youth, in my younger youth, um, and I knew, I knew in the U.S. that if I bought a motorcycle, I would kill myself or kill someone else, or it just wouldn't have been a good experience, and, you know, and, and I was just, uh, I, I just, I, I knew it wasn't right for me, but I knew that one day I was going to be that retiree that bought her motorcycle so she could drive the tail of the dragon, and, you know, I'm from the mountainous area, so I would always... Oh, I always drove sports cars because that's the closest I could get. And I would, oh man, I love mountain curves. And anyway, I'm getting off topic there. <laughs> but, um, uh, so I always wanted a motorcycle, but I, I knew better. Um, now I touched on this earlier when I was in Vietnam. Um, I drove a motorcycle for the first time. Uh, motorcycle culture is very different in the East. Uh, probably depending, every country is different, but many countries, you know, anywhere from, 60 to 90% of the vehicles on the road are two-wheel instead of four-wheel. So it's very common. Many, many people drive them. Um, and as a tourist, especially in Southeast Asia, getting around by motorcycle is um, is just something that a lot of people do. You, it's really simple to rent a motorbike. I mean, you can rent them usually for like $5 a day or something ridiculous like that, depending on what country you're in. Um, and so it's just it, it's the thing that people do. And... Um, uh, anyway, so I was in Vietnam and I was on my own for a couple of days and there was somewhere I wanted to go and I was told I had to have a private vehicle to get there so I could rent a Jeep or a motorcycle. And, um, I'd never driven a motorcycle before, uh, but I have driven manual transmission cars my whole life. And I had had someone visually show me how to use the parts of the motorcycle this is the clutch this is the gas this is the brake you know kind of showing me how to do it but I'd never actually even gotten on a bike and uh but I wanted to go see this it was a it was a lying buddha it was this huge golden buddha lying across the top of a mountain and you took a gondola to get up to it and I wanted to go there and the only way to get there was on a motorcycle so I said all right I'm going to do this and I uh, wandered into the motorcycle rental place and and of course all he had was manual transmission which you know, most places you can find automatic, but this, this is my story. <laughs> um, so it was manual transmission and he, he said, yeah, sure. You know how to drive. And, and I looked him in the eye and I said, yes, of course. 
and the whole time I'm just thinking, oh, all you have to do is get out of his sight. Like, just get on the bike and just get far enough down the road that you can stop and you can practice. And I got on the bike and I started it up and I, you know, let out the clutch and, and <laughs> put on the gas and boom, I just drove away. And, and it was just the most natural thing in the world. I mean, right away, I, I knew I was, I was destined to end up on two wheels. Um, and so that was just a, a day trip or an overnight trip, I think. Um, just quick and simple. And man, I loved it. I, to this day, I can remember the, the, the feeling of that freedom. You know, it was my first time ever out of the U.S. And I was all alone. And, and I was going where I wanted to go. And people were looking at me like, oh, my gosh, she's that white girl on a bike. And I was all, <laughs> you know, strong, independent woman. Look at me. <laughs> you know? uh, there was a little ego, a little ego there. You know, it happened rest of us anyway um and so anyway after that uh when i came back to southeast asia that was in 2009 when i came back to southeast asia in 2017 uh you know like i said it's just part of being here people rent motorbikes all the time to go tour for the day go see waterfalls or you know go to go visit temples or, or what what have you and um, so I rented motorcycles a couple times, once or twice in um, Nepal, uh, in Thailand, again in Myanmar, um, you know, pretty much everywhere, just for a day or two here or there. And um, they're usually automatics, um, not scooters. Well, that's not true. I have driven a scooter. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan of scooters. I'm sorry. They drive different. It's just not the same thing. Although some people might call the bike that I ride a scooter because how small the engine is, but it is a motorcycle. You put your legs over the top of it. It's not a sit through kind of thing. You know, no offense to anyone who likes scooters. They're, they're fun. It's just not me. Um, anyway, so always just renting these little automatic bikes and having fun and, you know, um, you know, as a solo traveler, a lot of times you make friends and they back ride with you and you go do your thing or, or you make a friend and you both rent your own motorbikes and you go off and it's just fun. It's a fun way to travel when you're, when you're in a foreign country and want to get independently to places. Um, and then I got to the Philippines. I think I'm still on topic, right? About my motorcycle journey. <laughs> you don't have to worry about being on topic. I mean, whatever you want to talk about, it'll be interesting to anyone who listens to the show. Hopefully. Okay, good. Okay, good. All right. So um, I got to the Philippines, and um, as often happens with me, I had a plan. I was headed a certain place, and I stumbled into one place on the way and went, wow, it's awesome here, and I didn't leave. And for me, that was Bahal, which is in the central part of the Philippines, a smaller island and just really beautiful, intimate community. And I was staying in a hammock hostel, which you'll be happy to know I'm also a hammock camper. Um, I was was staying that Alona Hammocks? Uh, Alona is her hammock. Yes, the woman who owns that. But I was in her other hostel. Did you stay there? Yeah, I stayed in Alona Hammocks. The oh one my right gosh, I love that big her. reservation or that big uh, um, 10 feet walled tourist hotel. I don't remember that because I only stayed in that hostel. Like, uh, I think I was there for Christmas Eve or something. I was only there like for a very small period of time. She has another hostel that is in the middle of the island near the Chocolate Hills. And oh. it's like, on a coconut 
farm and it's like uh, natural nipa and bamboo huts and it's quiet in the countryside. It's way more my style because the one that you're talking about is in the tourist area on the beach. There's bars and restaurants and all kinds of hostel or hotels and it's like the touristy area and that's not. It's that's where you go for the nightlife. Life. That's where bars go all night and you can drink yeah. for next to nothing until you're stupid. I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoy nightlife sometimes, but that's not why I travel. Um, and I, especially now, nightlives are few and very far between. Um, but no, I was in this just beautiful laid back countryside in a coconut farm, you know, near a little creek. I mean, it was the first time in my life, actually, that I ever washed my clothes in the local watering hole, like at the local creek with all the local ladies. And uh, we won't go into the the effect on the environment of the plastic bags that they throw out and the soap that they use. We won't go into that. But the experience of being in a river and washing your clothes is just, I mean, now it's my favorite way to wash clothes. It's way easier than hand washing in a bucket, let me tell you. Because the no, water I did hand washing in the bucket. Ooh, that's hard. <laughs> oh, girl, I've been hand washing in a bucket for almost six years now. <laughs> you get used to it. You get really good at it. Um, I'm not there yet, but I actually learned that from the Philippines. Like, I go in the sink at places, and I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna wash this real quick, and I'll be in out in like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's just part of life. Honestly, these days I don't really like washing machines. I feel like, I mean. <laughs> there's a musician a local musician um who of course i'm pulling blank uh the uh, um the wild ponies and they have a song called um things that used to shine and it's that everything they own is a little bit broken <laughs> like, i absolutely fit that description everything i own is a little bit broken and it seems like every time i put my clothes into a washing machine they come out with holes in them because they're just, they're weak. They've been washed a million times. They've been worn a million times. They've been dried in the sun a million times. And they just can't handle the action of a machine. So I just prefer hand washing these things. <laughs> um, Make it last a little longer. It's like the bike that, you know, if you clean it too too far, the rest is what's keeping it together. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so when did you buy your bike and what do you have? Okay, so yeah, back back to the bike story. Um... So while I was in the Philippines or in uh, Bahal, I actually rented a motorcycle a number of times because uh, the hostel I was staying at had bikes for rent and it's a small island and I wanted to get around and explore. And where I was at, like there wasn't anything there, you know, I was in the middle of nowhere. There's just the chocolate hills. But even to get to the chocolate hills, I had to rent a motorcycle. So I rented a bike and I drove all over that island. I mean, I've seen pretty much every part of that island, which most tourists that come, they only see Penglao, the, the touristy beach area, which is nothing wrong with that. But um, anyway, uh, and I had, it was, I was 39. I was getting ready for my 40th birthday. And as a gift to myself for the new decade, I had scheduled myself for a Vipassana retreat. I don't know if you're familiar with these. They are, it's a meditation retreat. Vipassana is meditation as taught by the great Buddha. Um, and um, 
it was my gift to myself and but it but i had a schedule you know i had to be a certain place at a certain time and i was a long ways from where i needed to be and i had maybe by the time i started conceptualizing of the idea i had maybe three weeks or a month to get there and you know since my previous plan had just flown out the window because i fell in love with the hall it was there for i think five weeks um i had to rethink how i was going to get there and because I hadn't been enjoying my time on the motorcycle around the island of Bahal, I was like, you know, I could just buy a motorcycle and I could drive myself to this retreat. And, and you know, and there, it was a couple islands away, so I knew I'd have to take ferries. But that's the beautiful thing about the Philippines. You can hop between pretty much every island by ferry. Um, they have these boats called Roro, roll on, roll off, and you literally just drive yourself on, and they strap you down, and you get where you're going, and you roll yourself off, and it's a fantastic way to travel. Anyway, um, so I did it. I went down to the city, and I looked at secondhand used bikes, and, and I found myself. It wasn't exactly the bike that I wanted. I, I really wanted a fully geared bike, um, although I'm happy that I have a semi-automatic because it's just easier to drive long, long time and long distance and that sort of thing. Um, uh, and I, I bought myself a bike and, uh, the plan was to drive it for maybe two months and then I was going to sell it and, uh, leave and go back to the U S. Um, and I used money before I left the U S I sold my car and I put that money into savings account so that when I got back to the U S I'd have money for at least a down payment to buy a new car, which I have a feeling if and when I ever get back to the U S going to go to a motorcycle instead of a car, <laughs> but that's a different story. <laughs> um, so the money I use is money that I just had in an account waiting. And I thought, you know, as long as I sell it back when I'm finished with it, I'll have about the same amount of money I took out anyway. And, and it'd be a cool way to travel. And so that was, um, that was two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, I'm, I'm keeping it. The, the funny thing is, though, is you'll still be able to sell it for a pretty good amount yeah. of what you pay for it. Yeah, I'll still pretty much get about what I paid for it because um, it's still here, especially it's still considered a newer bike. And, you know, it doesn't have so many kilometers on it. Um, but, uh, well, it does. Who am I, who am I kidding? How many is on there? Uh, what's that? How many kilometers do you have on it? Uh, it has... 23,000 kilometers and I bought it with 11,000 or 24,000 it has I bought it with 11,000 which means that I've driven 13 hold on I'm doing my math wrong 1300 13,000 13,000 kilometers on it which I did the conversion last night I'm like wow 13,000 kilometers you know when I tell people here they're like whoa that's so far because you know there's people here that never go more than like 20 kilometers from their home in their entire life so that's a long ways for them um, and I've been many many places here but anyway I did the conversion last night it's 800 miles 8,000 <laughs> miles no 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 800 oh really did I do that wrong it's 8,000 oh that makes a lot more sense that makes a lot more sense. I was thinking it was 800 miles, and I was like, dang, Sage. I'm not very far. 8,000 is still enough for you to go coast to coast in the United States twice. So yeah. it's not a laughable distance, especially since you've done it in the Philippines, which is not really that big. Well, and, and that was one of the things that I was thinking about last night when I was, you know, I was kind of processing what we would talk about today and trying to get my statistics right. Um, 
the thing about the Philippines is that the roads are very different. You know, the speed is very different. So my average speed is about 50 to 60 kilometers an hour, which to me sounds really fast. I mean, I can go 70, the bike will go 80, but I don't really like to do it. And I only do it when I'm like on the major highway and all the cars around me are going really fast and I feel peer pressure, right? Um, but I don't, um, I don't get on those roads very often, believe me. Um, but anyway, so my average speed is about 50 kilometers a, a, an hour, which is like less than 40 miles an hour. It's like 30 to 40 38. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's so understanding that, you know, it's a whole nother world out here. So, actually, I was thinking 800 miles and thinking it was a really sad amount. But at least 8,000, that's a little bit more respectable. Obviously, I wasn't. I think I put 1,300 instead of 13,000 into the calculator. I think that was the problem. Right. So, 8,000 over two years in the Philippines. And as someone who's been there, I understand that's quite the accomplishment. Like, most roads are smaller. They're not very straight. And you do always go slow. So, for those who well, are listening to American, imagine that 13,000 miles at 35 to, you know, 45 miles an hour. It'll take you a while. <laughs> it takes a little while. But also, on top of that, and this is a, this is, this, uh, is a big impact on the number of kilometers I've driven, I stand still a lot. Um, I don't, um, so before I bought the motorcycle and also after, my major, I guess, um, goal in my travels is visiting organic farms and quite often I volunteer on the farms that I visit so I'll go somewhere to volunteer on a farm and I'll stay for a month or six weeks or something um, and then and in addition to that you know the past year has been lockdown so I mean not lockdown but you know the whole world changed just about a year ago and um, so in 2020, for five months, I was in one place, and then I drove a very short distance to another farm and stayed for four months. Um, and so there's been a lot of like idle time over the last year. Um, and even before, before the pandemic, I stayed somewhere for four months. Um, <laughs> I rolled into a as I said, happens to me often. I rolled into a surf community in Zambales and Luzon, the main island in the Philippines. <clears throat> and um, I was going there for uh, couch surfing. A friend of mine, a fellow traveler had said, oh, you should go couch surf with this guy. It's a great area. He's really friendly. He lets you like sleep in your own natural Kubo and which is a like a gazebo or a hut sort of thing. Like, well, anyway. <laughs> and um, uh like you know but uh, anyway get back on topic here uh so I stopped there and I was just gonna stay for maybe a week I was gonna enjoy it and while I was there I met one of the resort owners it was a mother-daughter team that owned a resort and just we hit it off right away we were very um we had lots of similar philosophical and spiritual views and and I ended up staying there for four months working on, on you know volunteering in their resort and you know simple stuff like <laughs> This will be a difference between travelers and uh, tourists for you. Um, when you work in a resort type area, especially in the Philippines, but I think all over the world, the, the work week is Friday to Sunday and the weekend is from Monday to Thursday. And so, you know, on Friday or maybe Thursday afternoon, you, you know, you clean up all the huts 
house and you clean the bathrooms and you sweep up all the sandy areas and, you know, you make the place look nice. And then, and then you're social all weekend and you're friendly to people and you answer their questions and, you know, you, you, you cook for them and whatever. And then, you know, they leave on, on Sunday and you take all the sheets off the beds and you throw them in a corner until you have to last minute do it on Thursday. Because <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, everybody's a procrastinator. That's just the way the life is, right? Anyway. Um, There's also so, Filipino time. There is absolutely Filipino time, island time. Like it's it's there, yeah. There it's a different different concept of time here. But um anyway, so my point is as far as traveling on the bike, there have been many times when I've been stable and you know, the bike would not get started but maybe once a week so I could hop over to the market and go do something. Um, although I would take little side trips every now and then, but mostly I just would stay put because, you know, when you can watch the sunrise well the reflection of the sunrise from the beach every morning and then watch the sunset over the beach every evening and you know there's no real rush in between why would you want to go anywhere else (laughs) that's a hard concept for a lot of people that a traveler's life seems exciting because you know we post the coolest pictures and stuff on facebook when it happens but like 90 Mm -hmm. percent of the time you're just chilling out relaxing reading a book hanging out with people doing nothing of remarkable interest but is so great to experience right right so where do you usually sleep on your travels um before the bike and with the current bike do you hostel hotel camp um so before the bike when I was still you know quote just a backpacker I don't mean anything bad by the just but when I was a backpacker um uh I was hosteling it mostly. Um, I brought I brought my Hennessy hammock with me because um, I've had a Hennessy hammock actually. My very first one, or my second one, my very first one, my mom bought for me in 1997. This wow. was long, long, long before there was what you would call a hammock community, which there is now. Um, so I was the only person I knew in a hammock. Everybody else, I, I think I sparked the hammock revolution in many cases where people saw me in my hammock and went wow that's really cool I want one of those and then I'd run into them years later and they'd be like I bought a hammock and it's awesome anyway that's that's so awesome though (laughs) oh yeah I I love that there's now this huge um community of of hammock sleepers and there's a lot of hammocks available now back then you know Hennessy was about the only one there was one or two others over the years they started picking up but you can buy hammocks for nothing now that have a mosquito net and a rain fly and all that but none of them will ever be the Hennessy and maybe that's because I'm old and set my ways and I've had the same thing for so long but that's my story and I'm gonna stick to it I love my if Hennessy. If it ain't broke don't fix it right? Exactly and you know we might have a hole or two in it but we're not gonna get into that. Um, anyway so I carried that with me and I've carried it with me for my whole travels but for the first year and a half, I don't think I set it up like three times or something. It was just in the bottom of the backpack and it never got used. Um, and then when I was at the hammock hostel in Bahal, I actually, they have like um, like a raised platform where there's a house underneath or whatever, but above is just flat and then the roof is above. And, and she said, well, if you want to camp, you can camp up there. And so I put my hammock up there and basically had my own like personal bird's nest above the rest of the resort in the coconut 
you know, farm. It was fantastic. I, that's one of the reasons I didn't go anywhere because I wake up every morning in my hammock and I was comfortable and I was dry because I was under a roof. And I mean, it was awesome. It was the first time I started using my hammock a lot in my travels, uh, unfortunately. But um, <clears throat> anyway, so for the first year and a half, I guess, of owning my motorcycle, I also did not camp very much. Um, I was mostly just going from place to place. Um, uh, you know, I would, I, I had like a list of organic farms in the Philippines. And so I would just go from one farm to the next to the next. And sometimes I would just, you know, take a tour and talk to them and we'd exchange stories and they'd always feed me cause this is the Philippines. And you, <laughs> if they don't feed you, then you haven't actually visited them. Um, and you know, and I would move on, but sometimes I would just hit it off with the people and they would say, you know, why don't you stay? And, and I'd end up staying for a month and helping them on the farm. And, and I've learned so much of my travels from that. Um, and, uh, Anyway, so I never really was living off of the bike as far as camping off of the bike. I was just going from place to place. And then when I would travel, um, <laughs> either I was going to a farm or this is probably something you can understand. Or I would look at the map and I would find the curviest road that I could find that was just, you know, the <laughs> lovely curvies. And I'd go, oh, I want to go there. You know, where does that go? And then I would go wherever that road took me. Um, and that is, uh, as far as like not going farm to farm, that's what has driven me mostly is um, what curvy road can I hit? And I've hit every curvy road in Luzon. Um, and man, there's some beautiful roads in this country. I mean, there is a road. I grew up, I mean, not grew up, but most of my adult life, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is right in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, the Appalachian Mountains. It's beautiful. We have curvy roads everywhere. There's waterfalls. There's, I miss the streams. I miss the mountain streams so much. But anyway, uh, that's off topic. Um, but there is this road here in the Philippines that no one knows about. I've told so many Filipinos about it and they have no idea where it is. There is actually a historic uh, National Park Monument at the top of the mountain, and it is the curviest road I have ever been on. No, that's not true. It's just a lovely curvy mountain road, and a large section of it goes by a really beautiful river, but what made it fantastic, and the most beautiful road I've ever been on, is the waterfalls. Within a half-day driving, roadside waterfalls, not ones that you have to go off the road and go down a road to see, but roadside waterfalls. I saw, I like, I counted them after seeing like a dozen. I was like, I better count these guys. There's so many. There were like 42 waterfalls in a half day's drive just on the side of the road. We're not talking about little like two footers. I mean, I'm talking some of them were, you know, a hundred feet in the air. And I mean, just the most stunning road I've ever driven on. Okay. So but back to topic. <laughs> Back to topic about, um, so in the beginning, I never lived off my bike, um, or, or never camped off of my bike. Uh, but then, well, COVID hit and the worldwide pandemic happened. And I was very fortunate right before the pandemic hit. Um, I arrived at a farm to visit a friend who I had volunteered with at a different farm, and he was now the manager. <clears throat> And his owner actually offered me um, a contract position. I mean, an illegal job, so maybe don't advertise that. But um, a contract position to help them with something. And so I had planned to be there for three or four months. 
you know, and, and to make a little bit of money because you, you have to make money when you're traveling. Um, unfortunately, you can't just go forever <laughs> on the air we breathe. Anyway, so I was really fortunate when the lockdown happened. I was on a farm. So I wasn't, you know, I, I had somewhere to be. I had a job. It was being paid. And so I stayed in the same place for four months or five months, something like that. And then, and here the lockdown was, um, I'm sure, very different in the U.S. It was um, very strict. Like, you could not leave your house without proper paperwork. There were roadblocks to get out of your neighborhood, roadblocks to get out of your, your village. You know, when you got to town to go to the, the supermarket, there were roadblocks. You, you know, I mean, it was ridiculous. It was very, very strict. So if you didn't have the proper paperwork, you weren't leaving your house. And the paperwork was, in general, one person per household. And since I was on a farm and there were many people, uh, I wasn't one of the people with the paperwork until about halfway through the lockdown, the four month lockdown. Um, so I stayed put for all that time. And I was really lucky. Um, fortunately I made a friend at the local government unit and he, um, would bring me coffee, ground coffee that was grown in the area and was from the local farmers. And that got me through the pandemic. <laughs> anyway, so moving on. Uh, and then I stayed at another farm. I moved as soon as the lockdown, um, um, lessened. It wasn't that it went away. It lessened so you could move around, but you still had to have paperwork. And it was easier to get the paperwork. I moved uh, maybe an hour drive away to a different farm, and I was there for four months. And then in September, I was um, just ready to go. You know, I mean, I was a traveler. I'd been sitting still for nine months, and and you know, it's it's I get wanderlust. What can I say? It doesn't matter how great of a place I'm in. After a while, I just gotta go. Um, and so I got back on the road, having no idea what was going to happen. Um, but before I left, I decided that I wanted to be um, completely self-sufficient. Because being on the road during the pandemic, I didn't know what accommodations were going to be like. A lot of the ones online were saying they were closed unless you had travel paperwork from your local government unit. And... By travel paperwork, they mean you took a test and then it said, I'm going here on this date and I'm going to and from here. And it was very, very, you know, regimented. And I didn't have that. I was just hopping on my bike and the plan was to follow the, the, the seashore. Like I was just following the coast, you know, headed a direction that I wanted to go. And so I decided I needed, you know, fully um, functional camping gear. Um, and that is when I took the leap to living off of my bike and uh, to truly camping off of my bike. And that was back in September. And so now when I drive, I, you know, I drive all day and uh, I, I do two different things. I either look for a wild campsite, um, which is kind of difficult here, or at least it was on Luzon. Now that I'm on a different island, it's a little bit easier. But the Philippines is very highly populated. Um, and there are lots of green, wild areas, but they're not really accessible. There's not roads to get into them. It's like everybody lives on the main road. They live along the coast, you know, because they're fishermen or, or whatever. And um, so it can be difficult to find places, but I'm getting better at it for sure. Um, and, you know, and you literally just check out little, there's always pathways going off the road. So you just kind of poke your head down a pathway and you might poke your head down 10 pathways before you find a spot. But I, I, I pretty, I've gotten pretty good at finding spots. Um, or I, my battery can last me about two days. Um, 
So about every two days, I'll either, I'll rent what's called an open cottage. They call them open cottages. It's basically like a gazebo um, that's just like a roof. And there's usually a bench around three sides and a table in the middle and, you know, open walls. And they're at the beaches and most people rent them for the day and they have their family picnic and they enjoy the beach. And I just rent them overnight and I hang my hammock uh, inside. And that way I have a toilet and running water and electricity and I can recharge. So every couple days or every three, four days, something like that, I'll rent one of those. And it costs like six US dollars, which is a lot on my budget, but it's worth it for me to have that comfort every few days. Um, so speaking of budget and financing, mm-hmm. you make your money, as you've mentioned, working for farms and hostels and whatever opportunities show up. But what is mm-hmm. your what is your monthly come out to be like on average? How much do you spend on food and accommodations? And when did your original fund finally run out? OK, so you'll like this one because um, I know you like uh stories about how how you change in your travels so uh being raised by a single mother um who was not good with money and um well it taught me a lot (laughs) growing up I've always been very on top of my money um when I first started traveling I had an app called wallet and every single cent that went out of my hands went into that app I mean I wrote everything down. I could tell you exactly what was spent on accommodation, on food, on, you know, tourist attractions, on, um, you know, toiletries. I could tell you down to the cent every single dime that I spent. And, um, and that was a part of who I was. I mean, that was just who I'd always been because I was raised without money. And, you know, when I got older and had my own money, I, I, I kept control of it. And I was always good at saving it because I wanted to travel. I travel a lot when I lived in the States. You know, I would go away for the weekend or take a week vacation. And, and it was because I'd learned how to save money because my mom. Anyway, sorry, mom. <laughs> She's not great with money. She, she, she doesn't know much about saving, let's put it that way. So I had learned. Anyway, so the point is, when I first started traveling, um, Money was just very much uh, something I kept an eye on constantly. Um, But through my spiritual journey, which we kind of touched on, but that could be a whole other podcast in its own. Um, But uh, sometime after I took the Vipassana retreat, the two-week meditation retreat that I went to, um, I stopped following my money because I believe in the power of attraction, the law of attraction. Um, And, you know, the more time that you think about the money that you don't have, the less money you have. And the more time that you, the more energy that you put into something, um, the more you push it away. You know, this idea that, well, I have to track my money because I don't have a lot of money. I don't have enough. And so I better track my money because if I don't track my money, I'm going to run out of money. Money, 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 money. So you put all this negative energy into your budget, into how much money you have. And and I had to learn to let go of that. So within the last two years, it's been a process. I couldn't tell you exactly when. I, I started letting go of that. I started accepting that the money I had was enough. The money I have is always enough. Um, when I need more money, the universe provides you know, something happens. I, like I said, I went to visit a a friend on a farm and and I was offered a job, you know, and I just, 
I don't think about money anymore. I don't, I don't have to, you know, I like it. It's just, it's there. If I need it, it's there. And, and that has changed my relationship with money. And again, this could be an entire podcast about my, my experiences with, with handling money. So in answer to your question, in the beginning, uh, my budget was $10 a day, 10 us dollars a day. Um, and in India, in Nepal, uh, even Thailand, in Myanmar, that was more than enough money. I hardly ever spent $10 a day unless I did something like tourist attractions wise or rented a motorbike <laughs> for the day or whatever. Um, I hardly ever spent my $10 a day. And that was part of the reason I still had money left over at the end of six months. Um, but I don't remember how much money I started out with. Uh, it was maybe five or six thousand dollars, something along those lines. Um, and I don't know. I guess the money ran out uh, when I was in Borneo, in Malaysian Borneo, um, because that was when I was like, okay, well, I'm out of money. I guess it's about time to go home, right? I got to start thinking about flying back to the states because I don't have any money anymore. And um, and then that was when I learned about the ferry and was like, oh, let me take this one last ferry to the Philippines. And then, you know, within two months of arriving in the Philippines, I went to this meditation retreat that is all about the teachings of Buddha. And, you know, once you open that door down the path of spirituality and belief and um, just trusting the universe, it's, it's like a black, not a black hole. That seems like a negative thing. It's, it's like you trip down the steps and you just keep going and. And who I am has changed drastically since that point. Not because solely the Vipassana retreat, because that's all part of who I was before. I just didn't know it. I'd never heard someone express those viewpoints and that way of looking at life. Like it was all inside of me already. I just had never had anyone unlock that door. And what a beautiful door it has been. <laughs> so now, as far as money that I spend, I have no clue. I can't tell you. I don't know. <laughs> that's um, very fair, though. Uh, you know, I will say, and, and, and I hope that this doesn't offend anyone. I don't know. I guess everyone, we all have money from where we get it and, and we spend it our own ways. But, um, the, the relief money that we're getting from the U S right now for the pandemic, I mean, I'm rich. <laughs> I've had this much money in a really long time and, you know, $600 in the United States doesn't last you a month right? I mean, it's nothing. Like, it's actually an insult. I mean, I'm happy our government is doing something, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of an insult because it's like such a small, tiny amount of money for someone trying to live in the U.S. But $600 for me, I mean, I I can make that last easily two months, maybe three, you know? Like, it's, I, so I guess I kind of do know my budget. I Maybe two or $300 a month, somewhere in that range. I um, think a big thing, though, is that you've changed the way you spend and the way you think about money. So you don't mm -hmm. need as much of it as most people who are like, I need this $10 subscription and that $40 bill and then cell phones are expensive. And then, and then they're like, yeah. I want this $35 souvenir. And you're like, eh, I'm here for the cool people and their food and what I got to pay for. But it's, it's something that I try to explain to people a lot. It's just the mentality around money changes when you travel. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've listened to a lot, most of your podcasts, at least on the Vagabond, the Motorcycle Vagabond side, those podcasts. And, and I think that we kind of look at that sort of thing in a similar way. Like as far as, you know, I, I think you mentioned once that um, you look at maybe a souvenir and you're like, ah, 20 bucks. Yeah, but I could use that 20 bucks to 
I don't know, you use an example. <laughs> you know, I could use that 20 bucks to do something on my motorcycle or I could fill up my gas tank for the day. I don't think you can do that on 20 bucks in space. But anyway, like, you know, like the, it's always you compare it to what it could do. And, and it just it's never enough. Like, I am not a materialistic person anymore at all. I mean, I never really was. But uh, I mean, I was. I can't say that I was, I was American and we are materialistic and maybe you don't see the extent of it until you remove yourself from that culture. But, um, and that's not an insult. I don't mean that in a negative way. It just is what it is. Um, but okay. I don't have, I, I've had so many offensive things said on the show. Do not worry about it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, everybody lives their life in a different way and I don't think anything's wrong. I think we all live our lives, you know, the way that is meant for us. And we're not all, um, we're all in a different spot on the path. You know, there there is a path to, um, I hate to use the word enlightenment because I think it's been very taken over by Western culture, this idea of the path to enlightenment. But there, there is a path of life and, and awareness. That's a better word. There is a path on, on your your um, journey to awareness. And we're all in a different spot. And there's no judgment. I, I don't judge people who are in a different spot because, you know, I'm also not at the start of the, the, the end of the journey, you know what I mean? We're all somewhere in our journey and it's just the way we are. But anyway, I, I really identify with that song about things that used to shine because I, everything I own is a little bit broken. Um, and that might actually be two different songs from them. I might be misquoting that, but, but everything I own is a little bit broken is maybe its own song and things that used to, I love things that used to shine and whatever. Uh, my bike still shines. You know, I did never tell you, I did never tell you what bike I drive. And I think that's an important, um, because there will be some judgment from all these people in the U.S. and their big engines. Because I think they're like a Chinese. What's that? Is it Chinese made? No, it's a Honda. Well, I don't know. It's Chinese. Is that Chinese? I don't know. Japanese. Japanese. Okay. I was going to say, I drove Hondas in the States and I absolutely love Hondas. So anyway, but it's not a 650. Let's just put it that way. I drive a Honda Wave 125 DL semi-automatic. That's so awesome. And here, that's a really good bike. You know, here it's a a strong bike because a lot of people drive 125. And it's a good brand because it's a Honda. There's a lot of cheap Chinese made brands here. Um, and, and it's a a bike that lots of people drive because it's simple. Like the semi-automatic is, um, you know, I, I, semi-automatic, I don't know. It might be different in the U S here. I have, um, I change gears, but there's no clutch, right? Yeah. I change clear. I change gears, but there's no clutch, right? I have to think about it. I'm like, wait, what do I do? You have to shift, (laughs) but there's not a clutch for shifting. Yeah. There's a foot pedal for shifting the gears forwards and backwards, but you just release the pressure on the gas and shift and then go back up. Um, and I'm really, although I wanted a fully geared bike, I'm really glad that I ended up with the semi-automatic because, um, uh, you know, I, I do, I drive a lot, do a lot of driving and in the Philippines traffic can be a problem. Um, I can handle, I mean, I'm a little bit of ego here, but I can handle that bike like boss. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to handle like a 650 or a thousand CC when I get to the States, but I can handle that 125 like a boss and know how to drive it. And I can drive it in some sticky situations. I've been in sticky situations. I've gotten out of sticky situations yep, and but- I've been on beautiful roads, you know, and curvy roads and, and dirt roads. Oh, you'll like this one also. Um, 
because I think I've heard you mention it in your podcast. Uh, Google and I are very, very good at finding roads that aren't actually roads. <laughs> and I love those roads. If it's dirt or mud or sand or whatever it is, this bike is not one that most people would take onto a sandy road. But you know what? I can do it because I'm a badass and I know how to drive <laughs> a bike. <laughs> so funny thing. Um, one, I'd like to know how much you paid for the Vispasana thing, because that sounds really awesome. And that's my own curiosity. The other part is, why do you think you need to get a 650 or a thousand when you come here? You know, I'm trying to buy a monkey bike. It's a 50 to travel on. Like, apparently the 350, <laughs> but like, dude, it's all about the little bikes. Even here. I love it. Little bike touring is the best. I've heard two people's responses on your podcast to you saying, I want a 50. And they're both like, what? You're crazy. I don't remember who they were, but I think one of them was Mike. I don't, I don't remember names. I'm not so good with that. But um, anyway, uh, okay, so your first one, Vipassana. Uh, absolutely. I'm so glad you asked about Vipassana. Um, it is a two-week meditation retreat. Um, it is a silent retreat. You do not speak for two weeks. You spend all day meditating. I think it's like 10 hours a day. Um, you, uh, there is an hour, hour and a half long um, discourse every day that is taught by uh, Goenka, who is the, oh, I think there's some different branches of Vipassana, but th this is the one that I did was the Goenka. And he teaches, it's actually a video, so no matter where you go to a Vipassana center around the world, and they are all over the world, you get the same lessons and the same concepts. And it is meditation as taught by Buddha, you know, uh, Gautama Buddha. And um, it's an amazing experience. It's an eye-opening experience, whether you are a spiritual person or a religious person. You know, one of the things that, that he talks about many times is, you know, Buddha never, Buddha didn't want his teachings to be turned into a religion. So Buddhism is actually something that Buddha never wanted. Um, and Vipassana is something that you can do no matter what religion you have. It is not about religion. It's about awareness. Anyway, I, I can go on and on about. Anyway, but um, uh, Vipassana retreats are all over the world and they're free. You don't pay a dime to go. It's a free thing because, again, it's Buddha. He thinks that this information should be available to everyone anywhere, no matter what your financial status is. Um, now, after the retreat, they, it, they don't ask for money. They encourage you to make a donation, but there is no shame in not making a donation. I didn't donate. I actually volunteered for a course because I felt like I wanted to give back. And that was the way as someone without a lot of money, my way to give back was to volunteer. But, um, you know, they're very open about their finances. These centers are all run by volunteers. There's never anyone paid to run the centers. It's an entirely volunteer situation. They're very open with their books. They'll tell you exactly what it costs for one person to have a two-week retreat. And a lot of people will turn around and happily donate whatever, you know, their cost was. Let's say it costs, you know, $100 for two weeks. And a lot of people will turn around and give that $100. Like, no problem, you know. And some people will be like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. I'm going to give $500. And I know personally I haven't worked since then. But if I ever, which probably will never happen, but if I ever go back to a traditional lifestyle and I get a, quote, real job and make real money, I will donate to the center that I went to and, and donate as much as I can afford because I think it's important, especially because of the possible center here in the Philippines, the only one. 
and it's new and small. And so anyway, there are Vipassana retreats all over the United States. I highly, highly suggest that you look into it. Um, I think it's Vipassana, V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A. Vipassana, some people say it. People say it different ways. Vipassana, Vipassana. Um, And I highly suggest you look into it. Uh, and it is something that whether you become a meditator, a daily meditation person, or if you just go to this retreat and listen to what is said in the discourses and shut off your brain, close your eyes, and just center your mind for two weeks, you will come out a different person. Whether you change your life afterwards or not, you will be a different person. And I highly, highly suggest you check it out. Especially with a lifestyle like yours where you have the freedom to do that. So many people in the West, I'm like begging my friends to go to these retreats. It's always like, two weeks, I only get two weeks of vacation a year. I'm not going to waste it on, you know, this this retreat, you know. Doing and, nothing? And doing nothing. Exactly, doing nothing. That is the, that is the Air Western quote, nothing. idea. You so, are, let, me, let me assure you, you are not doing nothing. Meditating for 10 hours a day is hard work. Physically demanding, it's mentally demanding, it's emotionally just absolutely wrecking. I mean, I, you meditate for three days before they actually teach you the Vipassana technique because it is a meditation technique, but they have you just meditate, just concentrating on your breathing and clearing your mind for three days, and then they teach you the Vipassana. And I think it was on day four, I was crying like a baby. I mean, I didn't even know why I was. I was just bawling in the middle of meditation and and when I got up from that meditation and walked out the door I had let go of so many past traumas I can't tell you exactly which ones I know a lot of the subject matter but I let go of a lot of stuff in that retreat it changed who I was and I know I guess there's been hints in your podcast about the fact that you had a difficult childhood or you know you were running away from who you were and and I Vipassana (laughs) all I'll say if you got some shit to let go of that's where you gotta let go of it or to understand it because you don't ever get rid of your your traumas they're they're just a part of who you are and you 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 accept them and you no longer let them guide you you know you don't let them um you don't let them color the way that you react to the world around you you decide that you're okay with them and you just let them be so on my own little monologue I have about this. I spent four and a half years working on myself and I, I call it self-development or soul development. And then Mm -hmm. the active want to be self-aware of who I am, who I want to be, how people perceive me as. And of course people perceive you in a million ways. There's a million yous out there and coming to terms with things like that. It took me a long time. Actually it was like late 2019 that I finally found some kind of inner peace because I was in inner turmoil constantly I have done research on Vipassana and I'm interested in it, but I've done my soul development a different way, mostly through the traveling, through many days camping on my own, the days and days of riding, um, which is a focused meditation for me when I'm on yeah. roads that require my full attention. Absolutely. And Absolutely. high order conversation with many friends. But I think that's an important part of our journey is the, the, the development because I'm, I'm kind of right there with the, the Buddhism or the Buddha beliefs is, you know, the, the universe will take care of you. And it's such a hard thing to tell people that haven't experienced it. Like, what do you mean? It'll be fine. If you let go, don't you need to like control everything? No, you really don't. Like, <laughs> no. 
but I also use um, for those who are a little more emotionally, spiritually, mentally constipated, uh, psychedelics, yeah, shrooms yeah. and acid mm-hmm. is a great way. I've worked through I worked through separation of emotion and self, emotion and ego, mm-hmm. on my first mm-hmm. acid trip. That I, now mm-hmm. I can recognize on an intellectual level what's happening to me emotionally. And there's a separation mm-hmm. that it doesn't affect the entirety of me. It doesn't affect my ID and my ego. It's a it's a whole mm-hmm. separate thing. It's like watching its own shit show inside myself. Yeah. And each time I do things, it helps me develop along those lines. And it's really mm-hmm. opened the mind. It, like traveling, the the meditation, the spirituality, education, and, and, and experience, and then psychedelics, I think, are all in the same they're stepping stones along your path for, you know, better self or or more truer self. You know, I always Mm -hmm. say, if I look back to any day of my life, I want to be the best Z I could have been that day, but I want to be a better Z every day. I don't know where that will take me, but it'll take me somewhere. Mm -hmm. So there's my little monologue about going out and doing your spiritual journey because it really is a spiritual journey. Yeah. I mean, you're you're very right about um, the meditation that happens when you're just on your bike and nothing but you and the wind. And I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I will say, um, I I'm all for psychedelics. Absolutely, no complaints there. Um, in the meditation community, one of the things that they say about psychedelics, um, mostly I've, I've done my fair share of acid when I was younger, but I'm, I've always been a believer that if it doesn't grow out of God's green earth, then it's, it's a drug, you know, but a mushroom grows out of, out of the earth. You don't do anything. You don't process it in any way. It's natural. Um, but anyway, that's not what I was going to say. My point is with psychedelics, the meditation community, many of them will refer to psychedelics as a shortcut. Because through intense meditation, you can reach the same levels that you reach with a psychedelic trip. But like many shortcuts, if you don't do the work, you don't actually get the benefit. So, yes, you, you know, you have these experiences and you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it now. I see the separation of ego and self and, you know, you, you get it. But, but if you sit down on day one and you start meditating and it takes you a month to get there or six months or six years to get there, once you get there, it's a permanent state of being that when you do shrooms, you just have for, you know, four hours or however long, I don't know how long it lasts, I don't remember, it just happened. I see it but, um, more as a, it'll lock down the wall stopping you from getting there, it won't keep you across the line, but it, for those of us who are really blocked, it really helps get you there, but yeah, it's definitely not, I did acid and I'm fixed forever, it's I did acid and I experienced a thing, and then I worked through what I experienced, understanding it, and trying to get there by my own natural means without the aids of a drug. Or, you know, ayahuasca, peyote, acid, shrooms. There's there's a lot of things you can do. But it wasn't, like I said, I don't believe it. it's like, hey, you do acid and you're fixed. It's, it'll help you along the journey, but you still have to put a lot of work and a lot of your own effort into it to get there and stay there. Yes. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't want that to come off as like, I'm like, yeah, just take acid and everything will be fixed. <laughs> now, now that's, that's not how it works. Yes. You got to have to actually awa- yeah. be aware of what happened. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's definitely a view through the window. And and I have to give the caveat here because I feel like a little bit of a fraud. Um, I don't actually meditate every day. You know, it's one of those things in my journey that um, through Vipassana, my eyes were open to this idea of awareness and a different way of living. And I'm going through the mental, mental awareness without... Um, I would like to have a daily meditation habit because I understand that where I want to go, I will never reach without a daily meditation habit. But right now it's just not a part of my life, but we're all on a journey. We all take it our own, you know, our own, uh, speed. And, um, and again, back to the Vipassana, it doesn't matter whether you become, you know, if that becomes your way of life, if it does become your way of life, I guarantee you your life will be, um, you know, eons different then, you know, you, you will let go of so much stuff. But even if you just go to a retreat one time and you never go back and you never try it again, you will learn some things and your view on life and the way that you um, process things will change. Um, a friend of mine said once that meditation um, allows you to put distance between the stimulus and your reaction. And that's very true. <laughs> uh, because we all have what are called sankaras. Um, and those are automatic reactions. Something happens to us and we don't even realize we do it, but we respond. Like a really simple example is you feel a bug crawling on you, right? You don't even think about it. You just flick that bug off. Like it never even crosses your mind how you're going to react. You just, you just do it. We actually do that in so many ways, you know, like, I, um, when I would get nervous and feel uncomfortable, I would laugh and smile just because, <laughs> oh yeah, okay. <laughs> and, and it was just, I didn't even realize I was doing it. It's just a natural thing, this sankara that we create in ourselves. And it starts from the time you're a little baby, you know, and by the time you're even aware of your own identity, you know, once you reach a teenager in your twenties and start, you know, this is who I am. This is my who, who, you know, the things that make me who I am, you already have so many deep sankaras that you don't even know they're there. You know, you, you have no clue that they're there. And it is only through meditation that you become aware of those things. Or, like I said, I do not meditate, but I am much more aware than I ever was before. And I'm more honest with myself and my reactions. When I see something happen, I almost had a wreck on the motorcycle. And uh, because of a flat tire. Um, and I slid out, you know, the back tire slid out from underneath of me and I had to, woo, you know, wiggle myself around to get to a stop. And um, it made me so a week later, I'm driving on these curvy roads and I'm all tense and I'm like, my muscles are bunched up and I'm all like, I, I wasn't even thinking about it. I just I was nervous because I'd almost fallen off my bike and, and it scared me. And. And right then and there, I said, oh, my gosh, I just created a new Sankara. Like, I felt like I felt what it would feel like to have my bike fall out from underneath of me. And now I'm scared of my own bike and I can't enjoy it. So that's where I mean, like, you know, that awareness um, uh, of seeing the things that happen to you and the way that you react to them. But anyway, we like so <laughs> way off topic. <laughs> I've come to that journey through high order conversation and having a partner. Um, mm -hmm. We talk about often what we both do and he's, 
he's 17 years advanced in me and having time to work on himself. So he's more of a guide for me, but mm-hmm. I recognize my own behaviors and he helps me recognize some that I missed. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's really hard every day to ask yourself why, why when someone does this, do you react this way? Is that the way you really want to react? You know, it, that's a, that's a really big journey and it's a, it's a huge change. Like I'm currently going through a huge personal upheaval and development and the way I see myself and I see my relationships and whatnot. So leading under relationships, how are yours like? I mean, have you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend in a while? And how is it like when you visit your old friends? Like, and what's it like when you make new friends? Like, what's the big difference in your new development of relationships with the new traveler self? <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, that's a, that's a can of worms to open up. <laughs> Always. I'm here First for the work. Yeah, right here for the the wigglies um first off i have not well i haven't had a relationship since i left the state been such a long time and i get very much in my head about that sometimes i you know we all have these personal self-doubts and, and i beat myself up a little bit about it but but the reality is that I am on the journey of a lifetime. Like I am learning myself in ways that I n- never knew possible, you know? Like I I am on my own personal development journey and trying to throw another person into that mix is not going to help me get where I'm going. <laughs> so sometimes it's lonely. I did have one Tinder date early on in my travels and you know, that led where Tinder dates often lead. That was nice. It scratched an itch, but, um, that itch has been very unscratched for a very long time. Um, so relationships, uh, uh, romantic relationships are absolutely null and void. Um, and I'm okay with that. Although sometimes I get lonely, you know, we all want that significant other to, to have, have that personal time with, that intimate time with. But um, I I don't regret my solo time. <laughs> um, and I'm perfectly okay with it. And and I know that, you know, when it's my time to meet someone, that, that I will meet someone. That the universe will put exactly who I'm meant to meet in my path so that I have no option but to meet that person. And And... It's very much like the money. I rely on the universe to provide what needs to be provided. And and one day, I, there's going to be somebody I meet, be it male or female. I, I am, I have in the past been heterosexual, but I'm always open. I, you know, I think it's a person thing. It's not necessarily a, a gender thing. Um, and, uh, you know, when it needs to happen, it'll happen. When it's meant to happen, it'll happen. <laughs> um, let's see. But you asked about what was the second part of that question? I'd like to know what it's like when you s- visit your old friends. I mean, I guess you haven't been back in the States since you left, but talking to them and how you see those relationships differently. And then after that, what is, how do you make new relationships and what's your metric that you make a new friend, I guess, one that you'd keep for a long time? I mean, first off, I... I know that I still have friends in the States and I know that people send me random messages every now and then, usually on Facebook or messenger. And they say, Oh my gosh, I love watching your travels. They're so much like fun to follow, blah, 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 blah. I miss you so much. Um, but even my best friends, you know, it's fortunate if we talk once every six months, 
you know, I just, it's those friendships have, for the most part, just dissipated. Um, and, and, and it's not that the friendships aren't there because like my best friend, when we do talk, it's like, we, you know, it's, it's getting a little bit more awkward sometimes because, you know, our lives are so different. Sometimes it's hard to connect, but you know, we have those spiritual conversations and it doesn't matter where you are in life, what your life is like. You can still connect on a spiritual level because we're all, you know, spiritual beings and we're all one. And anyway, that's, um, uh, so that was hard to deal with. It was actually one of the things that was really difficult for me during my Peace Corps experience. So for the two years that I lived in Uganda, I felt very disconnected. I felt sad because even my mom, you know, like we don't, we might talk once a month and, um, and that is hard sometimes. I used to talk to my mom every day. We were very close when I was in the States. We would, you know, we went camping and stuff together a lot and, or, or I'd come stay with her for weekends and stuff. Anyway, um, so as far as those connections in the States, unfortunately, most of them have gone to the wayside. There are a few. Um, I have someone whom I call my mentor. Uh, she would tell you that we're friends, which is fun. We're absolutely friends. I love her to death. Uh, but she's, I don't know, maybe 20 years older than I am. And, and, and from the day I met her, I called her my mentor. Like I just, she, I had so much to learn from her. Um, and she says it's a two way street. She learns a lot from me. You know, that's any, any great relationship can be said for that. But, uh, my mentor, we talk like once a month or, or we might text back and forth, you know, once a week or something. Um, and that's a beautiful relationship. It's so wonderful. I think that she and I are kind of twinsies in a way. We go through a lot of experiences. Like we're so far away, but I'll call her and say, oh my gosh, I've had the most amazing week. Blah, 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 blah. You know, I'll tell her everything's happened. And she's like, oh girl, me too. And she'll tell me about her week. You know, and then two days later, I'm like, oh man, I just fell off my mountaintop. I'm in a valley and it's sucks and she's like oh me too you know like we kind of twinsy each other on the emotional roller coaster that is life um hi babies hi hello <laughs> sorry i'm getting a visit from the puppies from the doggies um which is something i haven't touched on we can talk about later i travel with a dog um but uh let's say um and then you know there's a few random relationships i actually had a friendship and this one is so beautifully convoluted the last guy that i dated in the states we ended up friends afterwards which i think is very important for your self-development to be able to be friends with the people that are your exes because everyone that you meet and interact with are a reason for who you are who you are because of your interactions with them but that's a whole nother story um so we're good friends and uh about a month before i left the states he and i met a girl at a gathering and he and that girl just sorry lady woman he and she just hit it off right away i mean they were off in the corner uh, you know the side of the fire pit just blah 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 blah. i mean it was one of those like instant connections that you see you know and so afterwards i'm like poking my ex i'm like oh my god who is she she's awesome like i met her she's so friendly so kind i'm like you you are gonna call her right like you did get her phone number like <laughs> you're not gonna let this fall to the side right you know i'm pushing him this direction to this girl and so I only met her once, maybe twice. We might have met up again before I left. But I think it was just the one time we met. And she, they're now dating. I think they might be married. They're at least seriously dating. They have been since I left. Um, and she has been one of my biggest supporters. 
from the day I left the States. I mean, this girl would message me. I've got friends that I would see every single day in the States and they never messaged me. And this girl has messaged me once a month. It's fallen off in the last couple of years, but for the first three years of being out of state, she messaged me once a month and say, what's going on? You know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And we had the most amazing friendship. Still do. It's just, I, I don't stay in touch very well these days, but so. Would you anyway, say, would you say that a big part of your old relationships is learning to let go of them learning to let, learning to move on to the new things in life? Like a relationship that, doesn't continue in the future isn't a bad thing it's just kind of come to its own conclusion and that's sometimes really hard to let go of like from my own personal experience of letting go of friendships I thought were very important and then realizing it was more of a physical proximity that we ended up hanging out so much and that's okay like there's nothing wrong with the relationship at the time and there's nothing wrong with making new ones absolutely um yeah I mean and and the thing is, I, I don't delude myself. If I were to come back to the U.S. and go to my hometown, I guarantee you that all of these friends that I haven't heard from in years are going to be swamping me because they want to they want to talk to me, you know. And I know they're still there, but um, it doesn't. It took some processing because I felt very alone. My first few years in Uganda, I felt very alone, and and, and Uganda was just. Um, I mean, that, that, again, that's all another podcast, the, the changes that I went through living in a foreign country all by myself for two years. And, um, but I would say that this is again, how we change as a person when we travel, especially when we solo travel. Um, we don't realize how much we identify ourselves by what other people say about us by our reflection in another person or from another person. Um, and so you define yourself so much by the people that are around you, by the things that they say about you, by their reactions to how you act, you know, like one of my friends, so many of my friends will say, Oh my gosh, Sage, you're like so outgoing. Like you go into, you know, we'd go sit down in a bar and you're instantly talking to the guy next to us, you know, like you you make new friends everywhere you go. And so I always thought I was an extrovert, but you know what? In my travels, I've learned I'm absolutely an introvert. I have way more introverted personality traits than an extrovert, but I, my whole life, I just, I was an extrovert. You know, I moved around all the time. I was always having to make new friends, you know, and I'm good at talking to people. And so because that was the reflection that was given back to me, I've just always assumed I was an extrovert and that is just not the truth. <laughs> you know, I love my alone time and, I need my alone time to recharge. You know, when I start reading through the traits of an introvert and extrovert, I, I am not an extrovert. I am an introvert. And I spent the first 36 years of my life thinking I was an extrovert. And uh, so anyway, those are things that you learn in your travels. You stop, you, you don't have the reflection of other people pushing back at you to tell you who you are. So you actually learn who you are instead of, I'm this person because my mom says I'm this person, you know, <laughs> like, um, the friendships, uh, you know, I know they're still there. I don't, I'm not, no longer am I hurt by people's disinterest. And like, I realized that everyone has their own life, um, in the States and it's not that they don't want to still be my friend. It's that they, you know, they have kids and they have a job and, and, you know, they've got sick parents or, or whatever is going on in their lives. And, and they're just too distracted, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind. And I guarantee you, I understand out of sight, out of mind more than I ever did before. Um, what about so, uh, not hurt, not hurt. new friendships? 
Yeah, new friendships. Um, so I will say when I was a backpacker, um, you know, my previous travels before I made it to the Philippines, uh, I was always within a travel community. You know, I was places where I was meeting people from from North America, South America, um, from Europe, from Eastern Europe, from Asia. I mean, Africa, from all over the world, I was meeting people. And man, I met some of the most amazing people. Um, first off, I'm a little bit older than your typical backpacker. And so I really, my, um, my confidence and belief in the younger generation just soared from the people that I met. Like, you know, you hear all these like ridiculous things they say about millennials and like all this down downgrading and trying to insult the newer generation or whatever. But Man, I met some of the most amazing, driven, thoughtful, um, you know, people still in their development. You're still developing in your 20s. I'm still developing in my 40s. You know, we're all developing. But, but just I met some amazing people. And when you're on the road, the relationships that you make are in, can be instantaneous. I've met someone that, you know, within an hour, we're best friends. We have not shut up for that entire hour. We will not shut up for the entire 72 hours that we're together. You know, we'll go do this and go do that. And we'll talk about our travels. We'll talk about our past life. We'll talk about everything under the sun. And it's amazing for 72 hours. And then you go one way and they go the other way. And you might be friends with them online. And you may never talk to them again. And that just is part of traveling. You know, you also meet a lot of people that you, you, you know, maybe you spend the day with them and you go waterfall hopping with them just so that, you, you know, you've got somebody to be with instead of being alone. And, um, and it's fun, but then you don't really connect. You're just two travelers who are using each other as a crutch, you know, and, and, and then you never talk again. And, and, and then you meet people, like I said, people that I, you know, I've known you for an hour and I feel like I've known you for my whole life. And, and uh, there's people that I talk to. There's an Australian girl that I talk to now, you know, maybe only once a year, once every six months. But I met her in Nepal. And, I mean, she and I just, we just get it. We just click. We just understand each other. Um, you know, there's there's a Spanish girl that I met in Myanmar that um, I, we've hardly spoken since we spent a week together but um you know every now and then there'd be a text message it's like oh I miss you so much like our time together was so amazing and you form these really deep really fantastic connections really quick um but then they also disappear and so like uh what just happened to me I stayed for three months with a family um just a few months ago um and the daughter of the family the adult daughter of the family um I then stayed with her for a month in the big city before I got back on the road. And I remember her saying to me, goodbyes must be really different for you because you say goodbye to people all the time. She's like, I've known the same people my entire life. And even though I live in the city and my family lives in the countryside, you know, I still only know a certain number of people and I've hardly ever said goodbye to anyone. And she's like, goodbyes must be so different to you. And I, you know, sometimes it takes someone else on the outside pointing something out for you to see it for yourself. But um, when I left her, it was the morning I was going and I had the bike all loaded up and the dog was on the bike and I was threw my leg over the bike and I started it up and, and I look up at her and she's crying. 
And I'm just all nonchalant. I'm ready to get on the road, you know. I, I'm excited about my adventure. And, and I stopped, and I just, oh, it was just such an emotional moment. I was so touched by the fact that she was crying to say goodbye to me. Like, I was had made such an impact in her life and had been such a part of her life. And she'd not said goodbye to that many people, you know. And, and, and here's this, you know, this girl that calls me sister crying because I'm headed off on the road. And she may never see me again. And I'm just like, okay, see ya. You know, not that that relationship isn't isn't close and isn't deep, and and I hope I do see her again one day. But I've said goodbye to so many many people, um, and it's just something that you you get used to. You go into relationships without expecting them to be that long. You don't expect the longevity anymore because it, it, it just isn't. Um, well, you I will say for what it was right exactly it was a beautiful thing while I was there and she her family was so wonderful to me I mean they took me in when I was at a low point and feeling very rejected because of COVID has just changed the way that people react sometimes and you can get yourself in situations where it's very isolating and I had been in, in a situation where I was like chased out of town because of my white skin you know and um and this family took me in and I ended up staying with them for three months and, and it was beautiful and they're so wonderful. And I, you know, I can, I can never thank them enough for, for their support and their safe haven in a storm. Um, and, and I value those relationships. I'm so incredibly grateful and I hold those relationships to my heart so close. But the goodbye wasn't hard. <laughs> and if you, if that situation had happened to me, you know, 10 years ago, I, w I would have cried. I would have been right there with her crying because I was saying goodbye to someone that I felt so close and so intimate with. But I will also say this. Um, I kind of walk this really kind of tightrope right now in my personality and my travels. Um, on the one hand, I'm a little bit lonely. So I kind of touched on this before because when I was backpacker before, I was on the trail. I was on what's called the backpacking trail. There were always other travelers. There were people like me, you know. The Philippines, I've been on a different trail. I didn't want to be on the tourist trail. You know, I rented a bike and I got off the tourist trail. Or I bought a bike and I got off the tourist trail. And, and I'm here to meet the locals. I say that all the time. I don't need to meet Europeans. I have locals. And there's plenty of friendly people here. And I have such a good time. You know, I meet so many fantastic people, and that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the local culture and the local people, not necessarily the internationals, which now there are very few anyway. But the the depth the depth of my connections is very lacking right now. People here are so friendly. Filipinos are like hospitality. Everyone in Southeast Asia is very hospitable, very kind, very welcoming. Everyone I have met mostly in Southeast Asia. But the Philippines is honestly, they have the corner of the market in hospitality and friendliness and welcoming you to their family. And, you know, it, it's hard to say no when they want to feed you. They're always wanting to feed you. They're always wanting to invite you into their homes to stay They're, I mean, they're so friendly. But, you know, I get the same questions over and over and over again where you're from how long you've been in the philippines are you married do you have kids when are you going home <laughs> i mean i could go on and on there's a list and there's a lot of them and i get asked those questions and then 
nothing else. Let it's their... almost like they want to hear the shallow version of statistics of who you are, but you don't really get past that because, well, you don't, you're not on the same path or the same place in the path, I yeah. guess. We don't I, have, I have a lot of ways to connect. I have the same issues when I'm in a non-native English-speaking country, which was the Philippines mm -hmm. and Eastern Europe. Uh -huh. You have some really great experiences, but you lack the depth of having someone that speaks your language so you can go further into a conversation and get philosophical. You know, that's where you right. really make the intimacy. Right. And without the words in common, it's kind of really hard. And I, I totally get that loneliness, you know. That's the only reason I ever sought out someone who was a native English speaker in another country is, like, maybe I'll have a conversation that's a little deeper than trying to explain to someone from a third world why I'm willing to sleep outside all the time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's a hard one for some people in some countries. Yeah. Like, what do you mean you go out and sleep in the woods? Why would you leave your house? Well, um, I'm crazy. Let's just sleep in that one. I don't have a house. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually, yeah. I'm glad you covered that because I get asked a lot of the questions of the same and it's, I repeat myself, I have the same answers every time. Um, I've come up with kind of open-ended answers now. I, I've i actually directed a lot of these questions into ending the conversation by answering in such a way they can't comprehend it. Because like, I, I do kind of get tired of saying it all the time. <laughs> so I really feel yeah. it there. And it's, yeah. it's hard to explain to people. Like, you know, look at my license plate all day, but that doesn't define where I came from or where I'm going. Right. And Absolutely. speaking of where you're going... When are you coming back to the States or where are you going after the Philippines, whenever that is? Okay, well, hold on. Let's backtrack a tiny bit because I didn't finish what I was saying about the duality. On the one hand, being um, lonely because I look for those deep connections. And on the other hand, I am constantly surrounded by people and I can't ever get alone. I mean, there are so many people in the Philippines. It's so highly populated. I went the other day. I found a random old abandoned road that's been paved at one point in time, but it's a long time since it's been maintained. And I, it, this is what I do. It's how I travel. And, and I found, I went all the way to the end of that road. It followed the coastline. I followed it all the way as far as I could go on my bike. And then I cut over to the coastline, got on my, on my feet and cut over to the coastline. And because, you know, wanted to see more of the coast. And these three teenage boys must have seen me at some point and followed me. And they followed me out to the cliff and they're asking me all the questions. Who are you? Where are you from? You know, and I'm doing what you're taught, what you're talking about. I'm, I'm giving them answers that kind of close the conversation. Like, I don't need this to go any further. Thank you for your interest. You're very friendly. It's really hard here in the Philippines to be rude to people because they're so friendly. I don't, I don't want to offend them. And I know that they're just interested. They're just so amazed to see someone that they never would expect to see, you know, and, and I don't want to be rude, but here I am. I want to be alone. I have driven to the end of this, this road because it's so hard to find places where there is no one. And I found a place where there's no one and daggum it, they're not these three teenage boys and they would not leave me alone after I finally said, okay, goodbye. Enjoy, enjoy your time, you know, and I walked away and they would sit down and watch me walk. And as soon as I was out of eyesight, they would follow me until they saw me again. And they'd sit down and watch me walk further. And Oh my gosh, I, felt, I just want to be alone. I mean, I, I am learning that I don't have to be alone to be alone. You know, like I can, I'm learning how to be surrounded by people and still find my center in myself. But 
I also really love to be alone and I love to contemplate nature and the beauty around me without, you know, somebody staring at me because people are constantly staring at me because I'm in the Philippines and I'm tall and I'm white and <laughs> I'm unexpected, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, and so I get all these, I don't know. I, so the point there is that kind of duality of like, I really am, I'm craving for really deep connections that I'm just not finding. And yet I really just want to be alone. <laughs> I really crave my own country where I know I can take off onto, you know, state park land or, or nationally managed land and I can just disappear <laughs> and be alone for a week if I want, you know, as long as I've got running water and, you know, some a stream of water and, and I, I crave that alone time, but I also am very much craving some real interaction. So that leads into where I'm going currently. Um, I have a German friend in country who I actually met at the Vipassana retreat two years ago. Uh, he was a server. Like I told you, everyone, volu everyone is voluntary. No one is paid. And so people come back and serve for the event. So they cook the food and they, um, you know, help run the, the two weeks and that sort of thing. And I met him then. He was a server. <clears throat> um, and he is, has been for about a year and a half, um, at a nonprofit as part of his, I think he's going for his master's degree. So it's part of like his uh, research or whatever, this nonprofit in, on an Island in the Philippines that is actually an Island that every single person I've talked to since I got here told me to go to, which are the kind of places that I stay away from <laughs> because if it's the place to go, I don't really want to be there, which is part of the reason I don't run into other travelers and have those deep conversations. <laughs> and, um, but so Shargao, the island is called Shargao. It's a um, big surfing area. It's a beautiful area. It's the place to go in the Philippines right now. And he's been there for about a year and a half. And of course, you know, tourism is not what it used to be. There's no um, international tourists here unless you were here when the lockdown happened because the borders are still closed. And he invited me and he said, oh, you can come volunteer with this group. And they do a lot of the stuff that I'm interested in. And so I said, okay, fine, I'll come. But of course, I'm in the far north of the country and he's in the far south of the country. So I said, awesome, that's a reason to get on my bike and to actually, for the first time, camp my way through this country. And that's what I'm doing. I'm in the middle of that trip. And I could have driven maybe in a week if I just drove every day and took the straightest route and tried to get there. I could probably get there in a week. And I'm at about a month on the road, I think, or yeah, about a month on the road, and uh, and I've made it maybe a quarter of the way, <laughs> because that's just the way I travel. Um, you know, I might drive uh, 60 kilometers in a day. I might only drive for three or four hours, you know, and then I start looking for a place to camp, and that can take a couple hours sometimes. Um, and, uh, and then I rest, you know. I set up camp, and I enjoy the beautiful places that I am. And look around me and have gratitude for the life that I'm living and, and take those moments to be centered and grateful. And <clears throat> anyway, so, but your question is about future plans. So my future plan right now is to make it to Chargal, um, and to volunteer with this organization. Uh, but, you know, and I'm going to verbalize this, but uh, <laughs> sometimes I hate verbalizing things because it actually either makes it come true or makes it not happen because I verbalized it. But in my travels, I often have a goal, and the goal never gets reached because I let the universe put me where it wants me to be. And so often, where I think I'm going is not where the universe thinks I need to be. And so, um, I, um, 
I'm headed that way and I've got a lot of land to cover before I get there and you never know I might find a place that that pulls me in and gets me stuck and that's exactly the life I like to live and I'm quite all right with that um when am I coming back to the U.S. that is I mean the million dollar question (laughs) I can't tell you how many first off it's one of the questions everyone asks when are you going home because here in the Philippines they don't understand a foreigner who isn't living here and has a business and doesn't already have a ticket booked home. You know, they've never met anybody like me. I, I came here with an open-ended ticket and I, I haven't left, you know, they, they just, just don't know. People. No, it's not. I don't have a home. Sorry. You're right. I, I, the, you're my country of residence. I think you're home. You've got you and you've got your dog and you've got a bike and you've got Get a life you want to live, and that's home. But when are you coming back to your the nation you were born to? I guess people ask me all the time, "Where is your home?" And I turn around and I point to my bike. I said, "That bag right there is my home," <laughs> because that is my home. And they look at me like it's one of those questions you said when you answer with something they can't comprehend. They kind of just look at me and they're like, uh, "Okay, so are you married?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, "Well, I can't." I. It's like you can literally watch their face, like. They think about yeah. it, they get stuck, the hamster dies and falls off the wheel, and then they're like, all right, we're going to put a new hamster in and start a different <laughs> question. <laughs> Maybe it'll be an easier answer this time. <laughs> yep, that's what happens. But, um, so, I mean, even to answer, I- I'll tell you, I plan, I have said I was coming back to the state more times than than then I could tell you, you know, I'm constantly like, in fact, this February or January, I was like, I'm going home in February. I'm going to go home. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to the U.S. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get a, a seasonal internship on an organic farm. And they usually start in March or April and they last through like September. And so I had to get back, you know, if I was going to do it, I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to make the leap. And let me tell you, it's big big fucking leap so it's a little intimidating but I was like I'm ready I'm doing it I'm gonna go you know and I I, all I had to do is get to town where I had decent internet I was gonna buy that ticket and my butt was going home and then I got to the internet and I got online and I started doing the research about how to get myself and my dog home because I do now have a dog that I never intended to bring home with me but I'm like I I mean you want me to cut off my left arm (laughs) it's not gonna happen you know he's he's my buddy and he's not going anywhere um so it turns out that I couldn't get the dog on the flight with me until like April or something because of just you know the way things are COVID has changed the way we travel um and so I was like all right I'm not going home then (laughs) I go back to the states um and so but that's happened so many that's about the closest I've ever been I've said I was about ready and I've started looking I've applied for jobs I've done all this stuff but but it just never happens the universe always puts something in my way and like I said I trust the universe and know the universe knows better than I do and you know if it's not my time it's not my time uh that being said the Philippines has a limit on tourists in their country. <laughs> You're only allowed to stay for three years. And I reached my three-year limit in November of this year. So I don't have to go back to the U.S., but I can't stay in the Philippines unless, you know, who knows, because of COVID, they might, you know, they might take pity on me and let me stay longer. But um, chances are I've got to leave the Philippines in November and where I'm going to go, you know, if, if I could go anywhere I wanted to go, I'd go to Mongolia. That's like, that's my next, like, I want to go to Mongolia. And if COVID hadn't happened, I probably would have taken a 
plane over to Vietnam and I would have taken the train with the Trans-Siberian train or whatever up into uh, Mongolia and then um, probably would have bought myself a motorcycle and driven myself all the way to the Eastern Bloc <laughs> because that just sounds fantastic to me. And the idea of like m making my way back to the States over land is just a really romantic idea. I really like it, especially because I have a dog and, you know, <laughs> um, but COVID has changed everything. Mongolia is not welcoming people in and I kind of don't blame them. You know, there are many countries right now that are not welcoming people in. And, and um, I, I feel like from the stories I hear from other travelers, when you are inside a country, things are opening up. It's much easier to move around. Uh, people are still friendly and welcoming. You know, people are beginning to understand that a lot of the fright is media driven, and and you know they're they're not they're not freaking out quite as much as they were. And things are you know normalizing within a country, but when it comes to changing borders, things are still a little bit iffy. Especially because I'm in an island country. So in order to leave the island country, I have to fly somewhere. I can't just. I mean, I guess I could carry back to Borneo, but. I don't like to get backwards. Um, <clears throat> so my dream, and this was my dream even before, but, you know, my dream, I have many dreams. I don't make bucket lists, but I do have dreams. Uh, my dream is to live on a sailboat. And I would absolutely love to sail my way back to the U.S. <laughs> um, so there's this website called Find a Crew dot net i think and you can go on there um it's very much like uh, in my travels i use work away i don't know if you've ever heard of work away but i most of my volunteer gigs came from work away um and find a crew is kind of the same thing it's people who own boats can post themselves and their journeys and say i'm looking for somebody to come help on my journey this is where i'm going this is you know if you have to contribute for money this is what it is this is the experience you need blah 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 and a year ago, year and a half ago, I probably could have found something. I mean, I'm in the Philippines and people come here all the time and they're leaving here all the time, but it's not a year and a half ago. It's post COVID or, you know, still in the middle of COVID. And so things are different, but I do believe I had a very strong, um, message from the universe yesterday that, 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 journey might be the next step of my journey that 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 type of travel might be next for me because the thing is my dog has been on a motorbike he's been on a ferry he's been in a bus he's been in a jeepney he's been in a taxi and a tricycle and I, you know I, he's traveled every different kind of way on the big ferries on tiny little single motorcycle ferries and and i think his next his next mode of travel is going to be a sailboat <laughs> That's awesome. uh, that more well-traveled than most people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very, um, you know, so so my next my next journey, it may not be back to the U.S., but it, it will probably be leaving the Philippines eventually. Um, you know, uh, if I come back to the U.S., so this, this comes back to you and your community and how I discovered you. Um, I think I became part of your MMV you know, maybe a year ago or two years ago or something. It's been a while since I saw the community and thought, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that because I was a backpacker in the States. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I guess I'm a little miss that, you know, although I know I didn't camp off the bike at the time. I was like, I can identify with that crew. And I joined the group on Facebook just to see what was going on. Not that I don't spend that much time on Facebook these days. But <clears throat> anyway, um, when I was looking at going back 
in February when I was like all gung-ho about going back to the States. I was thinking about, I was going to fly into my friend's house in Seattle, but you know, I'm from Tennessee (laughs) and most of the jobs I was looking at were were on the East coast. And so I thought, well, how am I going to get myself and my dog from Seattle all the way back East? without putting him on another plane because it's just traumatizing. We would have just traveled halfway around the world on a plane and I just didn't want to do that to my dog again. And that is when I discovered motorcycle vagabonds and the community that is actually (laughs) rather large. Um, I, you know, I think I was watching a video about dogs on airplanes and I, I don't remember the guy's name now. He's a guy, he drives a BMW And like five years ago, he hopped on his BMW with the goal of visiting every BMW dealership in the U.S. and raising money for charity for veterans or something. Um, I don't Uh, remember. That was horrible. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I've I've met him, and And he was like a really bus, and yeah, and he owns a campground and whatever. So he made motorcycle vagabond for a while, and that's how like. I was watching his video on taking his dog on a plane. And then I started looking at his journey and going, oh, look at that. Well, that's really cool. And, you know, and then Scooter, Scooter Tramp Scotty. And then, and, and then, I mean, it was just like a rabbit hole. I fell down and it was like, instantly I was like, these are my people. <laughs> like, if I go back to the States, I know I'm not going to go back to a traditional lifestyle. The idea of getting an apartment and being tied down to a job for a life. Thank you. That's why I was really excited about the idea of seasonal work. You know, as a my degree is actually in in horticulture, and I developed interest in organic agriculture. And that's really, if you'd asked me two years ago what my drive in life was, it was organic agriculture. Um, But that's changed a little bit. But anyway, so coming back to the states and doing seasonal work, it's perfect. You go work on a farm. They give you a place to live. They give you a stipend. You know, I was like, oh, that's perfect for me. It's little commitment. I don't have to worry. And I thought, you know, if I have a motorbike, that's perfect because then I can just, you know, show up at wherever I'm going. I got my motorcycle. I can drive around while I'm there. And then when I'm done, I'll drive and find myself another one. And it just, it just spoke to me from day one. As soon as I saw this motorcycle vagabond community, I was like, those are my people. <laughs> and here we are today. <laughs> and then Indeed. I started, you know, I, I started really looking at what your site was and the bunker biker. And, and then I discovered your podcast and I was like, Oh my gosh, she has, you know, she has this conversation <laughs> about motorcycle vagabonding. And I'm listening to these conversations and I'm like, these are my people. <laughs> you know, I, I Something that happened when I first started traveling, my goal was to travel internationally. I'd always wanted to solo travel, right? And so I'd become a part of this. Um, one of the bigger groups I'm a part of is um, Girls Love Travel, DLC. It's a huge community on Facebook. They've also done what you did and created their own app, but they're way larger than yours. It's, it's not really my thing anymore. But my point is, in the beginning, when I wanted to be that solo traveler, that was the community I found. It was so great. And I would ask questions and I would answer people's questions. And I loved it. I loved being a part of that community. And in the last couple of years, it's like every time I go on that site, I'm like, I don't really connect with these people anymore. Their questions, they're just repetitive and stupid. And although you get that on every group site, let me tell you. But that's every you know, group. Gosh, let me tell you what it's like being an admin. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I, I just want to rip my hair out some days. 
but I was feeling really disconnected. I told my mentor, I was like, I don't know. I'm like, I, you know, I like having some sort of an online community that I feel connected to because, you know, I am adrift in the world without a lot of connection to people that are similar to me. And, and I just really like having some online community that I can feel a part of. And, and, you know, I told her this a few months ago and, and, and then, uh, I mean, I haven't really become a part of your community yet, but I guess I'm on your podcast. So I'm like, maybe I'll end up meeting some people through <laughs> to my crazy story but um but I just right away I knew like these are people that get it you know I was listening to your podcast and um things that people would say and I'm like yeah yes yes and things that you would say I'm like oh I'm gonna be able to talk to this girl like you know um so so thank you I thank you for that for for being a face for a community that you know um I think in general, you know, my knowledge of the motorcycle community in the U.S., you know, my dad calls them the one percenters because he's also a part of it as a veteran, even though he doesn't ride bikes. But um, I have a podcast uh, coming out soon about this, actually. He's a guy in the U.K. doing a degree on adventuring by motorcycle. Not motorcycle adventure because that goes down a whole different pathway. But literally, he's one of the few people that studies motorcycle culture outside of one percenters. It is... 99% of research is done on literally like 0.1% of the riders. And he's over here actually getting involved in the other aspects of traveling by motorcycle and adventuring and the things that happen. Like he actually is getting a degree in it and he t- takes people out on like hiking trips, canoe, canoe trips. But I think you'll really like the conversation me and him had as well. Um, and I have, I have a lot of information for you. I, I'd like to do it off the podcast because I know a lot of things being an admin. <laughs> But even in the full-time traveler community by motorcycle, there is still subsex, and some of them you won't get along with, because I know I don't get along with them. Oh, I'm sure. That's in any any community. I met some travelers at the hostel there in Manila. I stayed at the one that was like four bucks a night when I was hanging out in the city. And you meet the people who have been going all over the places, and they get involved and eat the food. And I met another one who had been to like four times more countries than me, and he wouldn't eat anything besides the like fast food from America in Manila. Like he kept going to KFC and Domino's and I was like, what are you oh, doing, yeah. dude? I are you even traveling? Like uh, are you letting yep. it like, seep into your soul yeah. or do you have a wall stopping it from actually yeah. doing things for you? And it's just so interesting to see the, the variety of people and not, none of it's bad, none of it's negative. It's just different strokes, different folks, as they say. Takes all to make the world go round. <laughs> I'd be really bored if we were all the same. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I learn from everyone I meet. So even if it's the German, who I thought was incredibly handsome until we started talking, the German <laughs> I met in India, who had all of his flights from each location uh, totally, like, already scheduled. He refused to eat street food. He wasn't going to try chai because the milk wasn't processed. Like, all these things. And I'm like, you're not even going to experience India. Like, if you're not going to have chai, then you have not been to India. <laughs> I, like, you know, and he it's was... Chai in India? Chai. And again, he was very attractive. But he was going to spend three weeks in India and just never, ever experience it because he wasn't eating the Indian food. He needed to go to restaurants and, like, like enclosed air-conditioned restaurants, and that's just not India, you know. And But, it, like I said, it takes all... It takes what, all, is, what is all chai in India? Uh, tea. Milk tea. Okay. Milk tea. 
thankfully yeah. I'm so glad that it's tea because in Serbia it's called chai as well which is kind of funny because in America we have a chai tea so every time someone says chai tea I think tea tea it's tea tea yeah. <laughs> he's weird I don't know every time misnomer, but it's American we misnomer a lot of things we okay. misrepresent many many cultural things <laughs> all of the cultural things really I mean, not really. I mean, I say misrepresent, and there's a negativity to that. But we have created our own culture that is a melting pot of all of these different cultures around the world. And so, but you can't, like, sit in the U.S. and say, oh, I love Thai food. Thai food is the best because American Thai food is not Thai food. Now, I agree. Before I left the States, I loved Thai food, but you've not been to Thailand. And holy smokes I could just die on the street food in Thailand I could eat it every single day they have a culture in Thailand of street food and you can get anything and everything under the sun those people know food my point is that we've Americanized everything Chinese food is Americanized you know um our cars are Americanized because they drive on the wrong side of the damn road (laughs) (laughs) so um do you have any advice for anyone who wants to do any aspect of this that we've spoken about or combined experience kind of thing? I'm going to say the same thing that everybody says because it's the same thing I've always said and everybody says it. Just do it. I mean, I was a planner in the States. I'm telling you, I was just telling my Filipino friend here because everything here is very last minute. Like they might say in a week we're going to go somewhere, but they start planning it the morning they're planning to go. Anyway, but um, in the States, if I was going camping for the weekend, I started packing on Monday, you know, <laughs> and it took me all week to get things ready. I was planned. I was ready. Um, and you can plan and plan and plan and you can think about what if and how am I going to do this and do I have enough money and, you know, I'm scared because I don't know and it's outside of my box and just do it. Just get out of your head and just take the leap and you're just never gonna the thing is life is lived outside the box if you're inside your box I don't again I don't mean to offend anybody we all have our own comfort levels but you know what comfort levels suck because they make you stop growing if you're bored in your life it's because you stop stepping outside of your comfort zone you know I know so many people so many of my friends in the states and they're just bored and they're frustrated and they don't know why they hate their life and I'm like because you're too comfortable because you know exactly what's going to happen every single day and you've not stepped outside of your comfort zone in so long fuck out of the box (laughs) sorry (laughs) I'm a little passionate about that one (laughs) I am too because people get into a level of contentness that leads to stagnation and they wonder why 10 years have passed and they haven't done a new thing they haven't done anything different than what they do every day and it's like I guess maybe it's one of those I'm outside and telling them from that perspective what's going on, but dude, just change. Do something different. Take a risk. Like, what's the fun of life if you're not taking a risk? I'm not saying it's easy. Even I, who love challenging myself and pushing myself out, I still find myself stuck sometimes. Like, even here, I'm a little bit stuck where I'm at. I told you it's been almost two weeks I've been here. I was just planning to stay at night. It's like I get comfortable somewhere and, you know, I make a couple friends and I like the spot that I have my hammock set up and like just comfortable. And it's like I look around me and I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? I was having so much fun traveling and yet somehow I got stuck. 
I do it also. I because we search out creature comforts. We all want creature comforts, but you know what? The excitement, the living, the growth, the the. I, the, the the thing that makes me me is the new experiences every single day. And when I find myself in a situation where I've been here for a little while, I start getting depressed and I start watching Netflix videos instead of going and exploring the coastline that's like right next door. Like you know, there's so much coastline I could explore, but instead I'm laying in my bed at 10 o'clock in the morning watching Netflix, you know? And it's like, it's because I'm stagnant and I've forgotten how exciting it is to move. <laughs> And that's me who moves, you know, almost every day. It's so easy to fall into those comfort zones and they suck. <laughs> I do that too. It's so hard to explain that to people. Like when I'm on the road, I'm on the road and I am moving and I'm doing things. Then I stop for a while and I become like a hermit and I don't want to go out and do anything. And, and yeah, it's real easy to fall back into that hole because, but I have AC and a fan and, places to put my stuff and it's comfortable and I can take a shower but then you're like I'm bored it's time to spice my life up a bit by putting it into a jar and going exactly exactly I mean I I do kind of crave like the this American vagabond lifestyle that I'm reading about from different people I kind of crave it because as an American sorry as a citizen of the United States of America some people hate that term. Anyway, as an American, um, I I know how to do it better. Like I I read your blog, people's blogs, and I I see their vlogs and I see their posts online, and I'm like, oh yeah, I know how to do that. I, like I know how to use, you know, BLM lands, and I know how to do the whole national park thing. Like there's so much comfort in knowing how to travel around my own country and knowing that if I'm living off of my motorbike, I can totally rock it because I can find, I can find so many open spaces to sleep in. Like it would be so much easier than being here. Um, was it, you kind of took a strange path to doing it here. Doing, I always tell people it's as an American, if you're going to do this lifestyle, the best place to start is here. You've got the freedom, you've got first world infrastructure, but you've got plenty of land and you can make mistakes without it being life threatening. And it's super easy. And then it kind of steps you up to the next level of going to something that doesn't have infrastructure or is a developing country and you get new challenges like getting gas out of bottles and what if that gas is bad and et cetera, et cetera. It's, at least you have those stepping stones that when you get to the bigger challenges, you have a foundation to exist from. Right. And right. I don't know. I really like. I'm glad I got stuck here. I'm glad I wasn't in another country when COVID happened. But I think you would have been surprised. Why do you think I want to buy a 50 though? Like, I done started out on an 1800, yeah. then I went down yeah, to yeah. a 500, yeah. now I'm a 350, and yeah. I'm over here like I'm kind of bored. This is really easy now. I want a 50 because I'm gonna get stuck here for the next well, year anyways. I get your desire to have like you're. You're truly this journey that you want to do on the, you call it the cast or cat or whatever. This Me? journey that you want to do, I get why you want to do it that way. Like why you want to really like do it with a low, small engine. You want to make it this big journey, but I don't know. I mean, I thought I was driving a small motorbike. I didn't even know like a 50. That seems like the dirt bikes that my cousins drove, you know, my country they bumping are. cousins drove, you know. They really like, are. But I actually went around Romania. I did Romania for a week on a 50 and it was the best ride of my entire touring career was that one week on the 50. And I'm like, I loved it so much. 
I loved everything about riding slow forever. Like, I'm sitting here going up the Transalpina and Transfigarsha in Romania going like eight miles an hour in first gear because if I went to second, it would lose power and I couldn't get up the mountain. And it was the most exciting adventure ever. And I'm like, I want to do that in my country. I want to go see some weird things from that perspective because it will be different than me touring my country on the 18 or the 500 or the 350. It'll be so different. That's true. That's true. I mean, I highly suggest like a 125 or a 150 or a 110. Maybe a 70. I may do a 70. I'm not even sure you can get like my stylus bike in the States. I, I didn't even know. Like the, like I said, I think a 50 is more like a dirt bike. You were you posted something the other day about... um. Uh, you have to get them older. So you can only... Street legal thing. You can only street legalize a bike... Of a 50 or a 70, if they are older, like 70s, 80s, uh-huh. anything new has to be a 125 minimum to be able to go on high But if it's older, uh-huh. you can put it in. So. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But they were well, one, of, one of the things that I love about your plan is that everyone is naysaying you, and you're like, fuck it, man, it's what I want to do. <laughs> and those are the best adventures out there. Like, you're going to learn. You know, you know yeah. they're on the right path for everyone a deep adventure yeah. when everyone's like, you're going to die. You can't do that. I'm like, watch me. Watch me do this everyone thing. Here, everyone here looks at me. I've been in really touristy areas. So many people say, why are you not writing a blog? Why don't you have a blog? Like, I've met a ton of tourists in this country, and I've never, ever, ever met a single person traveling by themselves on a motorcycle. And you're a female, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, it's the way the cards fall, you know? Like, so many people are, why are you not writing about this? Why are you not, like, telling the world about what you're doing? And I'm like, I don't need so to. One of, my, one of the things that I advise people because they ask me, why don't I do video? I hate video. I hate myself on video. I don't even like listening to my own podcast. I like the content I make, and I like to, to make them. And that, that passion overwhelms my dislike in my own With video, there is no passion, and I always say, don't make something you don't like getting into a job. And when you're a full-time traveler, this is the Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually, it's one of those things about my life. I love to write, and and as a kid, like in um, you know high school and stuff, I took all the literature, like literature and writing courses and all that stuff because I love to write. Um, experiential writing, not so much like um, nonfiction and stuff like that. Wait, no, I always get that backwards. Fake is fiction. Anyway, whatever. I don't want to write stories. I like writing experiential stuff. Like, and I, I love writing in a journal and stuff like that. And and I mean, I people ask me all the time why I don't write a blog and I'm like honestly it's because I write all the time and then when I sit down to write something I know other people are going to read I get so up inside my head about oh it's got to be perfect and you know if I write this down I got to really stand behind my conviction of what I say and what if I say something and then people like because online you know everybody likes picking you apart and treating you like trash you know somebody's going to trash some deep philosophical beliefs of mine and gonna absolutely kill me and I just get so inside my head I'm like I don't want to write for other people I write for me and but I also yesterday I had a really prophetic day yesterday I had all these like messages from the universe and and I think one of the as I was writing my journal one of those messages from the universe was like you're not writing about it now because you write about it better in retrospect 
like you look back on the things that have happened and you're able to draw the connections between the things that have happened in your life and give the conclusion and why it made you a better person and how it made you better. And so if you're writing about it every step of the way, like you've already told that story and you tell it in the moment. And in the moment, you don't really understand what's going on. In the moment, I'm just like reacting to external stimuli and I'm, you know, but then like six months later, I sit down to write about something that happened and I'm like, oh, like that happened because it was pushing me this direction because I was supposed to go here. And so I got in this, you know, weird conversation with my current host and I no longer felt like I wanted to stay there anymore and I was sad to leave, but I was supposed to go here. So, you know, if I'd written about how much it sucked to get in an argument with a host and then leave where I was staying, it would have been about arguing with the host, but it wasn't about arguing with the host. It was about the fact that I was meant to be somewhere else. And so I had to have a disagreement with my host to finally give me that kick to be like, all right, let's go. So I can go to this other place I'm supposed to be. So I think that's part of the reason that I, I, um, I think you friended me on Facebook though. And you will see that I make, I, I go up and down. Sometimes I make a lot of posts on Facebook and I'm very wordy. My Filipino friends are always like, you write a lot. <laughs> like, yeah, it's always a picture that I write a lot. So you do actually get to follow some of my journey if you friend me. But I'm also like, I'll go through a period where I post every couple of days for a month. And then for three months, you won't hear anything at all. So, uh, my mom likes to say, well, why do I need to talk to you? I read your Facebook posts. And I'm like, mom, do you really, really think that I write everything that happens to me on Facebook? Because that is total bonkers. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. So, anyways, is there anything else you'd like to say before we conclude the show? Goodness, I think I have said enough. <laughs> I think we should I think do I another. You ahead of time, but I'm a bit of a talker. <laughs> I think we should do another one sometime. I think we could branch off and do a couple other aspects of the show and get a little more in depth with some of the topics. Absolutely, absolutely. I um, I think that was kind of what attracted me. First off, I really like um listening to your podcast because like I said I was sort of searching for people that understood what I was going through and somehow this community seems to have people along that and so I really appreciate that you're doing this and not only that you've done it and you've given me you know uh an an outlet of listening to other people but now you know you've interviewed me and it's been fun and it's nice and I appreciate you taking the time to <laughs> to ask me all these questions that I can then ramble on about <laughs> I have so many more and so many things I want to go further in with you. And that's why I made my own show. There is quite a few podcasts out there. In fact, I have a article on my website with under something most like a podcast I could find. And I yeah. went and read like 60 of them. Yeah, and I saved like of them and then got tired of looking at the list because it's too long. <laughs> it's fucking huge. Like, I don't think anyone gets through it. But there's something for everyone if you like podcasts. But there's some pretty well-known adventure writing podcast that I'm like yeah but this isn't like give me the essence of this traveler like come out and tell me the things that if I were sponsored would get me to lose my sponsors because that's the great thing about not being told what to do I can't have people who will have these opinions and be consider them without Uh any discussions on me or the show I don't care and I like the in-depth story that seems to be missed on every other show I've been on or listened to which is what it's um more of the essence Sorry, of the traveler. Oh right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Getting but. deep into it because it's not about the places you've been and what you ride. It's about 
who you are as a result of being someone who rides and goes places. How you've changed. It's the stuff you can't see and stuff you can't quantify on paper with numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed having you. you Oh, wait. I do have one other thing I have to talk about or I'll just hate myself forever and ever and ever. (laughs) And that's my dog. I didn't tell you about my baby. (laughs) I travel with... Okay, so... Eight months ago, I was on a farm in Cavite, in Luzon, in the Philippines, and my they had many dogs, many, many, many dogs, but one of my favorites was a Jack Russell Terrier, and she was really fat, and we kept saying, man, she's gotten really fat. Why is she so fat? And then one day, it was like, wow, she was pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> she, she might actually be pregnant. Um, and so turns out she's pregnant and she had a puppy, only one, because she's, you know, she's a Jack Russell Terrier and she, um, was impregnated by what we would call a mutt. Here they call them Ascal, um, or Aspen. Um, and she was impregnated by a dog that was maybe a little bit bigger than her. So I guess maybe she just had the one puppy anyway. And so I felt so sorry for the one puppy because puppies are born in in packs, you know, and they have their brothers and sisters like cuddle with and hang out with. And so I ended up moving the mom and the baby into my Kubo that I lived in on the farm, my little hut. And uh, just to watch out for him and take care of him because he was all alone and I felt sorry for him. And then, you know, that bond, oh, man, the bond of knowing a puppy from day one and then watching it grow. And, you know, it ends up in my bed with me snuggling, of course. <laughs> How can it not? Um, and then he was about two months old and I was getting ready to leave. And my hostess said, why don't you just take him with you? And I looked at her and was like, a dog on a bike? You're crazy. But yes. And so uh, he's eight months old now, and he is the best travel dog ever, ever, ever. I mean, in fact, he's just now learning how to jump up on the bike all by himself, so I don't even have to lift him up to get on. And um, he is, we go to the beaches, and he gets excited, and he runs around, and he's crazy, and he loves adventures. But then we get on the bike, and we drive all day, and he's totally fine with sitting on the bike and not going anywhere. You know, we go into like malls and public places and he's on the leash and he just sits down at my feet and chills. He doesn't make any, you know, scene. I mean, he can be calm when he needs to be calm and excited and happy and enjoy his adventures when he needs to be excited, you know, and he is just the best travel dog ever. And I don't know what my life would be like without him. I mean, not that I'm scared to be a single female traveler, but now that I'm a single female traveler actually camping off of my bike by myself, like I'm so glad I have a dog with me because he may be small, but he is mighty and he takes his job as head of security very, very seriously. Oh, he's and he's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> so my dog, uh, his name is, his original name was Oso. Oso is uh, Tagalog, which is the Filipino language. Uh, for bear because he is black and he has the white sun crest on his chest like the sun bear that is native to Southeast Asia although they don't have any in the Philippines but this area has the sun bear his name is Oso but somewhere along the line I started calling him BB which stands for big boy because he thinks he's huge and yet he's teeny tiny um, and yet now BB kind of stands for bad boy which means pig because pig and Tagalog because he eats everything. He's a virtual pig, even though he's tiny, he never stops eating and there's no, he never doesn't have room for more food. Um, 
And now he pretty much just gets called beads because we need beads, you know. Anyway, so <laughs> I couldn't, I, I couldn't get off of your of your podcast without talking about my very favorite friend in the whole wide world. I would just feel terrible, like I left out the one thing that's the most important part of my travels. <laughs> he makes my travels. The what? He's the dog of many names. Yeah, he is the dog of many names, which is a, you know, it's kind of a journey with the names, but we'll see what he ends up with. I don't know. But, um, but he, he's, he's laying over there chilling this morning because his mom's sitting in one place. And when I sit in one place, he sits in one place. And when I go have an adventure, he gets excited and runs and has an adventure. And, and I mean, I just, I'm so fortunate. Your last group that I listened to, the couple who travels with the dogs, like, I really get it. Dogs make a trip. And I love that part of their mission and journey in life is to normalize the traveling with dogs. Because I know that airplane travel is going to be maybe difficult on him, but he's a freaking rock star. So he's not going to have a problem with it. <laughs> but we're not going to get on an airplane. We're going to get on a sailboat, right? And he's going <laughs> to rock that sailboat like nothing. <laughs> So anyway, let's wrap this up. <laughs> okay. It was really good talking to you and I hope we get to talk again soon. And I hope we get to talk again not on a show. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I think we probably have a lot to talk about. <laughs> One of the things I'd like to go further in about. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, All right. Thanks you so have much. a good one. Okay, you too. I'd say it's probably like ten in the morning there. Uh, yeah, 10 in the morning, yeah. yeah. 9 p.m. here, so I'm missing a beer. <laughs> yeah, it's beer 30. Go enjoy your beer. <laughs> you have a good one. Thank you, Sage. Okay. All right, bye. Bye.